And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. Or perhaps not. Uh, the Clinton, Hillary Clinton campaign critical of that, according to Drudge. And of course, uh, all of the issues surrounding the Democratic national candidate. Folks, understand this. You know, I've seen so many, uh, uh, so many postings on forums and websites. Oh my goodness. They, people seem to really understand the Constitution. No, not from what I've seen. Um, you, you know, this, we are seeing the potential for a crisis. Now, when I say crisis, I mean something that's unprecedented, potentially, uh, something that could, that, that has a potential, but perhaps not the probability of delaying or indefinitely suspending the general election. Now, you might think that that is just totally absurd. And I thought that, I thought so too, because wait a minute, we've got amendments to the Constitution that directly address this. Well, now you start getting into that water a little bit murky. And I, I did a video yesterday to address that. Uh, we never, we have not had a top, we, we have not had a presidential nominee, someone who was nominated by their party, become impaired or be be removed from the ticket this close to the election we're 50 some days out i believe uh it's not it is not a clean process necessarily and it gets murkier the closer you get to the date of the election now once the election does take place that it's the president elect that person becomes the president elect regardless of the party and of course, it be, the process is a little bit more clear. However, right now it's not. So, could we be facing a constitutional style crisis? It's possible, folks. You know, at this point, and even if we are, and we're looking toward the Constitution, to the Constitution for answers, my question is, have we been constitutional purists? Have we followed the Constitution? Have our lawmakers or leaders followed the Constitution? <laughs> Over the last couple of administrations, I don't, that doesn't appear that way, does it? So anything goes, in my view. Folks are listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. We have a very special show for you planned out. Just want to welcome everybody from, uh, all across the United States, all across North America, Central America, South America. Uh, we've got Europe checking in. God bless each and every one of you listening to this in Europe. Uh, we've got some in, uh, Southeast Asia. Some people, listeners, listeners there to, Tune in to our first guest tonight. That's Jonathan Kahn. I, I'm, I'm very excited to have Jonathan Kahn with us uh, coming up momentarily. We're going to bring him on. Of course, uh, folks, if you haven't heard, Jonathan Kahn has got a great new book, and we have it, and I read it, and it's fantastic. The Book of Mysteries by Jonathan Kahn. Now, this is a little bit different than The Harbinger. This is a little bit different than um, Shemitah. Okay? This is The Book of Mysteries is... Oh man, it, 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 to me, to describe this book, you have to read it. Mm-hmm. You really do. Um, 
I was I actually surprised myself. I got a, a special delivery on Sunday, which I, I guess they have mail delivery on Sunday. Well, I know they have mail delivery on Sunday, but it came on Sunday, and I just devoured it. Just devoured it because it is so intricately, it's so well done. Portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by Zip Recruiter. Folks, if you're hiring, if you are a small business owner, big business owner, medium-sized business owner, if you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidate? Well, now, now you can actually through Zip Recruiter post to post your job opening in, in many places to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all of the top job sites, and now you can through ZipRecruiter.com. That's ZipRecruiter.com. Right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free, by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. If you're looking for that perfect candidate, there's your answer. But again, we are in this murky waters and 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 you know Joe and I were talking earlier and Eric uh, the tech and we were talking about our current condition the current state our current health of our country the bottom line here it would appear that the root of what we're seeing the epicenter of where we're at exists in the spiritual in other words we are spiritually ill this country is spiritually ill the problems originate because of our spiritual, moral bankruptcy and perversity. That's at least from our perspective anyway. John, I'm going to kick it over to you. Uh, Jonathan Kahn, hopeoftheworld.org is his website. Hopeoftheworld.org is the website. And also, mysteriesbook.com. Mysteriesbook.com. That's for the book. We've met Jonathan Kahn in, in, uh, at a conference in Orlando, Florida, Prophecy of the News Conference. And in fact, we just posted up uh, a picture, the three of us on Facebook, our Facebook account. Uh, this, this man, I, I respect this man immensely. Joe, if you want to bring him on, let's, uh, let's yeah, go into it. Yeah, tonight we have, uh, now we have Jonathan Kahn with us, author of The Harbinger of the, the Shemitah and the Book of Mysteries, his latest book, and the mystery of the Shemitah, I'm sorry, uh, was the last book. And this is a, a fantastic book. Jonathan, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Always great to be with you guys. Always, always oh. a pleasure. I'm blessed with what you guys are doing. And, and you. did you, did you get the email? If not, if someone can check, in, check your email. Came in real late, but has some notes. Yes, you, okay. you guys uh, have your email. Check that right yeah. Now. yeah, we got okay. it. <laughs> uh, thank you for but that. Great, great to be with you always. And it was great to meet you that time. Well, you know, it's you're you're an incredible writer. I I just uh, I'm astounded with every book that you write, and and I don't I don't mean to sound like this is just you know flowery talk, but the way you're able to convey your message, it's fantastic. And this latest book, your latest book, the Book of Mysteries, is really something to behold. I, I just you know when I got it, I didn't for some reason I didn't know what to expect, and I picked it up and I started reading it. The first page grabbed me. Um, 
you know, where do you want to start? Uh, in, in the absence of right now being able to get our fingers on the uh, yeah. on the uh, email, so why don't you go? Yeah. To well, to, to, well, first off, um, guys, you know, I thought maybe could be good to give a maybe an update of where we are, and you know, I mean, of, of what of from the harbinger of the Shmita, to where in that, and then and then we can get into it um, with the Hukum mysteries if that's if that sounds good. Um, the um, a few things. First of all, the the where we are, the template, you know, in the Harbinger, um, which is focused on Isaiah nine ten, um, which is the last days of Israel, and is the, the the at the moment of defiance when the nation that's been falling away from God it issues this statement that we're not turning back even after shaking, and what happens with and and the the next part of that, and we you know, we've seen the the Harbinger is the parallels of or the the manifestations of the last days of Israel, those warning signs, those Harbingers have reappeared in America, um, identifying us in the in the as a nation in danger of judgment. And the but the next part of the template, the pattern or the or the progression is that the nation doesn't turn back and it ignores the warnings and it continues on its course and deeper and deeper and more brazenly uh, defiant before God and that's exactly where we are now. That's exactly what's happened in America. You said it rightly at the beginning of the show of, of a spiritual sickness. Um, it was a year ago, a little over a year ago, you know, that uh, America really crossed the line. There's a there's a pattern in the Bible, um, you know, of a before before judgment comes, there's an act of desecration. And the, you know, we see with Daniel when the cups of the temple are desecrated in Babylon and then judgment comes. You see it um, in Ezekiel when God shows him the temple and what and the, the idolatry that was happening and he pronounces judgment. Um, but the act of desecration, it takes something holy and desecrate it. And that is what America did a year ago when we struck down the order of God, the order of marriage, a sacred vessel of God, um, and then, then the president celebrated it by lighting up the White House in the colors of the rainbow, as rainbows were all across the land. The rainbow, another sacred vessel of God, desecrated on the same day to celebrate the desecration of the first vessel. Um, so we have really crossed the line, and you know, there's a day in the um, there's a day in the um, the biblical, uh, well, actually the the Jewish calendar, but also it's a historic day. That when the first um, act of judgment came to Israel, when they they removed the Babylonians removed the Israel's protective wall of defense, um, and that was sealing judgment. When that those first walls of defense were breached, and that that day it happened on the ninth of Tammuz, and that has been that has been commemorated in mourning for for two and a half thousand years. Well, that day, the day that that America struck down the hedge of marriage, was the day of the night of Tammuz, the day of biblical judgment when the hedge of the nation's protection is removed and when judgment is sealed. So we're watching things accelerate. I mean, I mean, it's almost every day the apostasy of America is accelerating and the world. So um, we, it continues. And, uh, you know, one point I know, because I have, want to do some prophetic things in the middle if that's okay, but, uh, you know, I also want to give you an update on the Shemitah and some of the things like that. Um, but that's just a kind of an, a quick update. And there's also something of a harbinger that's actually going to be appearing, going to be appearing in, I can say it's scheduled, it's going to be appearing where I am here, around, around New York City, in about a week, and I'll, before we you know, close, I'll share about that too, but a, a lot is happening. 
Yeah, uh, please do. You know, we've we've gotten so many emails from people saying, uh, uh, commenting on your previous works, and you know, just wondering. And honestly, they're very um, uh, their intentions are pure. You know, wondering. Well, did Jonathan Cons? Uh, I don't. I don't want to say predictions, but you. No, absolutely you, not. No. Uh, uh, nor do I want to say prophecies, but 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 you're. With you're Yes, I mean, yes. Many people are asking. Okay, so so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead. Great. Let me get. Yeah, I'll get right to that. That's actually I wanted to do this. That's good. Yeah, a okay. few things. First of all, as and if you, anybody knows me really, and anybody has has really read what I've written, you know, in these things, I've always said. First of all, you cannot put God in the box. God does not to do anything at any time, including the shemitah. Uh, these are patterns. He's not in a box. There, there are times it happens, times it doesn't. Always, I've always give that warning. <clears throat> However, let me let me touch on the first of all. As far as the harbinger, again, we are we are continuing to progress on that. As far as the the shemitah, nothing had to happen. However, <laughs> did it did it manifest? Absolutely, absolutely yes. And I'll explain. First of all, the the predominant pattern, if you look at the book, is that the it's of a a crash or a collapse that happens whether in the financial realm, the economic realm. And if you look back at the last uh, seven Shemitahs from 2008 back to 2008, you have the great the great collapse. You, 2001, you have another great collapse uh, in the stock market. Uh, 1994, in that Shemitah, you have the great bond market massacre, worst in bond market history, which is actually bigger than the stock market. 19, the Shemitah of 1987, you have Black Monday, the worst percentage crash in history, and another uh, long-term stock market crash over several months. Uh, 1980-81, you have another re- a recession and a stock market crash. 1970-73, another crash and recession. Um, and 1967, you have another one as well. Um, so that, but what about 2015? The predominant pattern, you know, is not necessarily that it's something that it's the Alul 29. It happened the last two. That was a very specific, special pattern. But the predominant pattern is this long-term collapse in the financial realm. Well, that's exactly what happened. 2000, the Shemitah of 2008 was the worst uh, year of Wall Street since the in seven years since the last Shemitah since 2008. It's the first time it finished in the red for the first time since 2008, the Shemitah before it. Uh, the Shemitah of 2015 saw the, uh, collapsed global trade. It's still in a, a collapse state. It collapsed. It was the worst since 2008. The other Shemitah collapsed in the commodities market, the collapse of the oil market. You can still see that at your gas stations. Collapse of corporate profits, collapse of earnings, collapse of retail. It was the worst year to make money, and people didn't realize this, worst year to make money or for money all around in 78 years since the Great Depression. And it's since 1937, the Shemitah of the Great Depression. Um, on top of that, you know, did you have any great single-day crashes? And you did. Out of all the greatest crashes in stock market history, 20% of them took place in the Shemitah of 2015. 20% of all in history. Not only that, they all all 20% took place in the month of Elul, the month of the Shemitah, including Black Monday, which is the worst the worst one-day uh, intraday crash in history. And not just that, all over the world there were crashes. You know, if we lived in China, I don't think there would even be the discussion. 
China, which is now the engine of the world economy, in every other Shemitah, it was America, but now it's China. China was wiped out. 43% of its stock market was wiped out. I mean, in, in two and a half months, which is probably makes it the great, the most intense stock market crash in world history. Um, the, and, but then there are the other things as well. And I, you know, I want to update the book because there's, there's so much that actually did. But on top of that, you know, the Shemitah has often marked great changes in history of power, of rise and fall of power. Um, the American age began in 1871 when America became the strongest economic power on earth, surpassed Great Britain for the first time. That age has lasted and then it became the strongest military power, strongest financial power, and all that. The American age that we have lived in, that we've been born in, all of us, came to an end. The Shemitah of 2015 wiped it out, where America was supplanted and the crown as the greatest, strongest economic power on earth passed to China. Um, so even you know even that the end of the American age. So there there's really so much, but nothing had to happen. God is not in the box, but the predominant pattern that you see in the book over and over again absolutely did. You, you know you're right on the money. Obviously, I don't need to need to affirm that. Uh, uh, however, looking at looking at the situation, and I think the majority of people, especially in the West, have. Uh, somewhat of a tunnel vision or an expectation to see some sort of big bang uh, happen, yeah. uh, some big event. You know, it, yeah. we miss we, we tend to miss a little bit, sure. don't we? You know, the collective. Yeah, the and it wasn't. Yeah, and and or even sometimes the long terms, which end up being more more you know consequential in the you know in, in for the overall picture. Yeah, uh, you know because and it, you know people are dramatic and listen and I could have and we, I, you know I'd say be ready either way you know and but you know everybody does you know we, we tend to and as prophecy people we tend to be dramatic as well. We I mean, look for that and that there's nothing wrong with that, but you just you can't. But you can't, you can't be dogmatic, and I've always warned of this, I think from the beginning of this, um, and every interview always warned, but the fact is, some of the most significant things and long-term things did happen. I mean, the, the collapse of global trade is gigantic, and it's, it has, it's almost, you know, it's missed by so many people. I mean, people who, who know it is, in fact, it was the worst year, I think, for the, for the trade index in the history of the trade index. You know, it was 2015. You can see it with your gas pump, but you know, but yeah, so, but nothing had to, but it did, you know, and, you know, and, and so, um, yeah, and we're still, and, and beyond all that, we are still marching, we are, you know, as a civilization, we are progressing, and we can watch this every day, this is one of the surest things of prophecy is that, is the great apostasy that's in our midst, and that we're watching, is progressing every day. Oh, indeed it is, and I, we are, are seeing that, uh, well, as you say, every day, and, and it's amazing, the, um, the, the, the vitriol that's associated with that, the objectives, the path of the unrighteous, I suppose, are, are, are I mean, it, it's just incredible. We are, we are being subjugated as Christians and as Jews. The Judeo-Christian fabric of this country is under assault every single day. And it's, uh, sometimes it's uh, just a little bit of erosion. Other times it's full out assault. But boy, are, are we yeah, suffering yeah. consequences. Yeah. And it's and it's accelerating. You know, you can yes. watch it. It's like a ball rolling down the hill. But that is the same thing that happened in the last days of Israel. You know, they called, as Isaiah said, "Woe to those who call e what is evil good and what is good evil." And and it goes together. If you if you call what is evil good, if you celebrate sin, you're going to end up calling what is good, what is of God, evil. You know, and that's right. exactly we're watching the two things progress at the same time. Every move there is to celebrate immorality or or that which goes against God. At the, at the same time, there's another story of persecution. 
persecution of believers being driven from their jobs or being silenced or, or you know, or literally being put in jail that we saw for the first time. So absolutely, that's one of the signs. And that's also one of the reasons that I wanted to, I was led to write the Book of Mysteries. And that is that not only to, you know, reveal these things, but also that I believe that God's people are going to have to be very strong in the days ahead and very grounded and very um, rooted. You know, the, those who will stand are those who are rooted in the Lord. And so I want to do something that is not only going to reveal, you know, the mysteries of God, but also strengthen God's people, um, you know, to be to overcome, to, to stand strong, to get revived, you know, and we need revival, revived in the Lord and, and intimacy with God, which is what we need as well. You know, we, we talk about prophecy, but when you live in prophecy, you live in these days, you have, you're, it's not just that your relationship with God has to be so grounded. Um, and so that's another thing, too. So that, that leads to the, the, book of, the book of mysteries, and that's why I began it. Wow. Well, uh, let's get into this, Jonathan. Um, what is the book of mysteries? How would you describe this uh, latest work that you've completed? Well, if I would do this. If the harbinger is the revealing of a mis- ancient mystery, and the the shemitah is the revealing of a mystery, the book of mysteries is the uncovering, the unlocking, or the opening up of hundreds of the mysteries of God. And I, I kind of try to put it as I my best picture is if, if you're opening a treasure chest and filled with ancient mysteries, but also you know the mysteries. What I I, I believe are the greatest or the mo- you know the most important mysteries of God, the mysteries of the age, um, the mysteries of the end time mysteries of heaven, um, the hidden writing, mysteries in the hidden writings of the rabbis, uh, mysteries behind history, behind what's happening now, um, mysteries that uh, of, of, of overcoming, of dwelling in the heavenlies even now, and mysteries that can transform, actually transform your life, and also finding really the, the destiny of your life, because it's ultimately about the reader or God in us. So it's really, I wanted to put in here what I believe are, the, are some of the, you know, the greatest um, mysteries there. I'll, I'll give an idea. Some of the titles, I know we'll get into them. Um, one is called The Seven Mysteries of the Age. How the whole age is set up according to these mysteries. Um, the the mystery of the secret angels, and I would just give a hint that we have encountered them. Um, how to alter your past. Actually, that's biblical that you have the power to do that. Um, the Maccabean blueprint that the end times are, are, are so detailed, revealed in this one thing that that is overlooked that gives the details of the end times the mystery of the Mel- of melchizedek one of the one of the most mysterious people in the bible um the secret of the third prince how to live from the future um the shabbat mystery code how in the sabbath of the of the synagogue you actually have an end time um amazing revelation of, of what's coming another one called the seven mysteries of your life not just of the age but there's there are seven mystery seven uh, events of your life of every believer that are actually come from an ancient scroll in the Bible. So it's really on all these different things. And it's revealed, you know, I would say, you know, I, you know the parallel with the harbinger and the trina is that it's the revealing of mysteries. But another, par- but another parallel is that it is, as the harbinger opens up, as you know, with, you know, I, I was led to frame it with a narrative, with a prophet and, you know, the unveiling of it. The book of mysteries is also framed in that way that it begins with a, a man journeying in the, in the desert and he meets a man called the teacher 
teacher, and the teacher um, the teacher takes him on a one year um, odyssey journey in the desert on mountaintops, on in, inside caves, in tent villages, and um, in gardens, in chambers of scrolls and vessels, and there it reveals to him every day he re- he opens up or reveals one of the mysteries of God. So every day there's a new mystery. So because it's a year journey, it ends up being 365 mysteries. So, um, right. so therefore, the disciples recording it, or the guys recording it, and, and that becomes the book of mysteries, the, the words and the revelations of these things. So, for, so it also, the book of mysteries can be read right through, and people are reading, you know, just came out this, this past week, it's, people are reading it right through, but also, and it can be done, you know, looking for the mystery, there's a table of contents of all the mysteries, but also, it can be also read as a devotional, that every day, except one kind of unlike most you know, previous devotionals, that every day you're getting one of the mysteries of God, or one of the mysteries of the end times, or one of the mysteries of the rabbis. And, and then there's a mission at the end where the teacher gives the disciple, because it's not just, I don't want it so that people just be blown away by the, but that, by things of God, but also that, that it transforms their life. So there's a way to apply each mystery to your life that day. And so the mission's for the, for the, the one who, the disciple, but it's really for the reader. And so there are, there are many, there are many mysteries in there that, as far as we know, have never been anywhere, you know. And then there's also ones that came as I was doing this and, um, in the midst of it. And then all, it's really taking the reader on this journey that the, the, the one who goes on the journey has no name. Because it's really the reader. As you open it up, you're taken on the journey. And the other thing is that um, also there are streams of mysteries within the Book of Mysteries, and that is that there are things that begin, mysteries that begin, but they're really part of larger mysteries that keep unfolding until they conclude at the end. So, so it's all those things, you know, uh, throughout the whole book. You know, uh, Jonathan, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I, look, I, I read on average one to two books a week I just I I love to read I love books I I love the information that they provide I have to say this um, when I when I was reading your book and and folks uh, just kind of I I hope everyone can relate with me when I opened your book I really didn't know what to expect and I began reading it and many books that I read I'm well informed after reading the book if it's, you know, depending on how it's written. And folks, you, you understand this. You pick up a book, it's either for entertainment, informational, or inspirational purposes. But when I, when I began reading the Book of Mysteries, um, well, uh, not be, when I, when I concluded with the Book of Mysteries, it caused me to contemplate. I, I felt like I was not just gaining knowledge, but I was gaining wisdom. Does that sound right? I mean, I, I I really felt like after after concluding my my read, and I having gone back to um, also going through, and it's really well written and well done and easy to to really get through. I I felt uh, I felt better for it. I felt more inspired. I felt well, you know. It's just so it, it was an experience, folks. I guess that's what I'm trying to t- trying to get across to, to the audience here. It was a tremendous experience. Our, our guest is Jonathan Kahn, and we're uh, we're coming up against the, a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes, Jonathan. Since the last time you were, you were on, we have uh, reformatted the show. We got a break um, at 26 and, and 56 in the hour, so. There's a little change okay. of pace here, folks. You're listening to Jonathan Kahn on the Hagman and Hagman Report. He's talking about the Book of Mysteries, his latest book. Go to hopeoftheworld.org or mysteriesbook.com. We'll be right back. Stay with us.
folks, we're so happy to have Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, New York Times best-selling author. You know him by his previous books, of course, The Harbinger, uh, for mm. one. The Mystery of the Shemitah. That's correct, Mystery of the Shemitah. You know, Rabbi Kahn is uh, just a fantastic man. He's the president of Hope World Ministries. He's a senior pastor and messianic rabbi of the Jerusalem Center, uh, Beth Israel in Wayne, New Jersey. And, you know, you can listen his, his, uh, to Rabbi Khan. His teachings are broadcast daily over hundreds of radio stations all across the United States and worldwide on television. His, he ministers as did the first Jewish, Jewish messengers of the gospel, uh, sharing the message of the Messiah to Jewish and, uh, to the Gentiles and to everyone, basically. He has ministered before mass gatherings in India, in Nigeria, in Cuba. Uh, name the country. He's been there. He's a, he's a, uh, I mean, he is such an asset to the Geo-Christian life. I mean, it's, it's, and he's an exemplary writer, a very prolific author. And of course, his newest book, it's right here for those watching us on YouTube, The Book of Mysteries. I, I do recommend everyone grab a copy just go to mystery mysteries, uh, mysteries book. Book. com. thank you for that correction go ahead john yeah mysteries com. uh jonathan this is a, a fascinating book the book of mysteries uh reveals things in a very different way and unique way can you explain how uh you came to to write this book in that fashion especially yeah yeah, and I want to say also that, you know, it's kind of cool that, and thank you for your kind words, you know, um, uh, how you kind of were saying that it wasn't just information, it was doing something to you. And when I was writing it, it was the same way. As I was writing, I wrote it pretty much probably from 12 midnight to, to 7 in the morning um, most days. And then I fin- and then it was only finished, say, May or June. It's on the shelf. It's just on the shelf this week. So um, it, it was, um, it, you know, because it is, it's to change lives. It's to strengthen us. It's to do everything. It's it's not just the head; it's the whole life, and and I do believe because of the you know, and that goes back to your question. It's that you know, I believe you know, I love. Listen, I mean, there's, there's no end to God, and there's no end to His mysteries, and there's no all that. And yet, you know, the 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 time is. I it, it's crucial now that we have to become strong on fire for the Lord in every way, and and seek Him too. There's no end to God, so you know, too many believers it's they become stagnant. There's no end, and to to revitalize the walk, so. Um, I was blessed with what you said, and that's why there are the, the mission at the end, or how to take the mystery and apply it, you know, in your life. So, I, and I do believe that if people go on this, and you know, however, whether it's reading it through or whether it's you know a day, every day, um, it, it it will I almost I guarantee if you apply it, it will change your life because it's it's God's word and it's taking it, um, and you know, so I just believe that this t- we are going to be in very very challenging times, and God wants us to shine, and God wants us to. All of us to overcome and live up, not on the defense. So that's that's the you know that's the temptation that we have right now with with the world you know with the apostasy. Yet we have to live on the offense in God, and so it is to it is to really change our lives. That 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 was my burden to do this. Yeah, yeah believe me, um, it it changed it it really again it touched my heart 
and I felt like I was I was tapping into wisdom. It, it's it's the oddest feeling, but it touched me spiritually, <laughs> you know, and it, it inspired me. As a matter of fact, I'll just tell you this real quick. I um, when when I took the book when I left for the studio today, I I took it off of our nightstand uh, where my wife began reading it last night, late last night, and and she read uh, one of the mysteries in uh, in the one of the chapters, of course, a mystery, and. She looked at me and she said, "Wow, this is—is is the entire book like this? You know, that powerful?" And I said, "Every single page." So when she saw me walking out of the uh, out of the house with it to, to come to the studio, she said, "You're going to bring that back tonight. You're, you are—I mean, that was an order." So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, yeah, and that and and it is again. And again, as I was doing it, I, this is a weird thing to say, but because I, you know, there's different things happen when I when, at each time with each book and each one was different. But this one, I felt, you know, it was usually again six or seven in the morning when I finished it, and it came to me, and I was at the end, I was felt revitalized, or I felt lifted up, or I felt cleansed, or I felt, you know, and it's hard to, it's you know, it's hard for to explain this, and for those who are listening if they haven't read it, and. You know, but that's it. It's me as well. I mean, I'm saying, and there, and there are people who are this first week. I don't know if anybody's. Did you, did you, Joe? Did you say you finished it or you finished a reading of it? No, I, I, uh, Doug here, and I finished. I, I started reading it Sunday, and I stopped for a couple of hours Sunday into Monday. I began reading it again Monday, and I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I mean, I'm again. I read uh, well up to three books a week, uh, generally one to two. Um, but this, but I'm going to go back and reread very carefully. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I cherry picked it. I, I went through the table of contents and and just went yes, and wrote what I could. Um, and what I the, the ones I did pick out and read, there was at least thirty of them. I mean, they're just they're fantastic. I got a list in front of me that I want to to ask you about. I know we don't have a lot of time, but um, it's yeah, definitely we, and, and, uh, yeah, and feel free too with that as well as you know questions. However, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, but. That's another way of doing it, and I think you're the first one I've heard said. You know, you could just look at the table of contents and go wherever, you know, at whatever mystery. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's and, a great way, a great format. Yeah, it is. And the uh, as I said, you know, the the ones that I did pick out and I did read, it it is as my dad said, it does. Um, it opens your mind, uh, makes you want to go back into the scriptures and and to you know read some of these things yourself. I came across. A number of instances in your book where I had to go look to see if you know what what you said was accurate, what you wrote was accurate. Yeah. There are some words that oh, I yeah. never even noticed before. I, uh, oh oh yeah, and, and some people. The, the first time that happened is when I wrote the Harbinger, and I I sent it to the to the you know there was a, a lawyer dealing with the thing and you know with the contract and all that. And she was Jewish and Orthodox, and she she so, so she looked over the manuscript and she she said I didn't I couldn't believe that this was real. And so I went on the internet and I found it was real. So I'm, you know that happened from the beginning, and I'm blessed. <laughs> blessed with that well one thing that grabbed me and and perhaps we can start here on the book itself and folks listen to this because this when when i read this and this is from like you know day one here second one when i grabbed this book one of the first mysteries that you you were talking about in your book is the mystery behind the name of god now i've heard this but i've i've never had it delivered to me in this fashion the name of god uh the book of mysteries reveals things in a very different way, a very unique way about the name of God. Tell, tell yeah. us about. 
Yeah, and that's the beginning because it's you know the beginning of all these things is is, is God in the end. Yeah, the 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 name of the the first the very first you know noun or name in the Bible is is the name of God and it's Elohim of course Elohim. But one of the things we don't realize that breaks the laws of language because it's a the 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 word you know Elohim is plural and. The, yet the verb God created, bara Elohim, is singular. And that breaks, I mean, it would break the law of any language. And when that happens in the Hebrew, and people don't realize, there's a lot of things that when you read it in your English Bible, you don't see it, you don't, there's, there's so much behind it um, in the original language that's, that's really a revelation. And this is one of them, and there's a whole, there's a whole stream of them, of the Hebrew pluralities. But this one is that, that even from the beginning, you know, this, the, what it's saying to you, when the Hebrew does that, what it's saying is several. One is, it's saying that what is being communicated, what the, the word cannot contain it. In other words, the reality is so incredible, is so is so beyond, is so transcendent. You cannot sum it up. So when you see God as Elohim, and in other places in the Bible, Elohim it literally is translated as the gods. When it's same word, but but it, when it's when it's spoken up for God, it means that God is so great, so beyond whatever you think He is. He's more than that. However good you think he is, he's better than that. There's no end. If you think you know God, you know, if Paul could write that I might know him, here the one who wrote most of the books of, of the New Testament, and he's saying that I still have to know him. It means that there's so much more. There is no end to knowing God. He is, there's no end to what you can receive of God. There's no end. Whatever it is, it, he's more. And that's, what, from the very beginning, that's what Elohim, so the very first mystery, kind of the first and last mystery, is God himself. Exactly. Now, let me, let me throw in another one. I just thought of that. Sorry. Sure. I thought of something. No, go ahead. Another one that links with the name of God is, is, is the Tetragrammaton. And that's the actual name that God gives to Moses, you know, which is, which we translate YHVH, you know, and, or, you know, as people say Yahweh and some say Jehovah and some, you know, but that's, we don't know exactly how to say that. Yahweh is probably close, but there's no, you know, we, no one fully knows. And so it's been a great mystery that name, the Tetragrammaton, four letters of God. It's so sacred that, you know, that Jewish people don't even try to avoid saying it, or, you know, when a scribe wrote it down, they would bathe when they would do that. And so at one point in the book, the teacher asks, you know, do you know the, what, do you know the name of God? And, and the thing is, he says, well, so he's new, he doesn't really know that. And he says, well, and here it is, this most, this most mystical of names, Yahweh or YHVH, and yet he says, you say it all the time. And the thing is this, is that, you see, you see, before you can even, if you say your name, you, say, you speak about yourself, say who you are, I am Jonathan. Before I say Jonathan, I have to say the name of God. I have to say I am, no matter what. No matter what, if I say I am, I, I am sad, I have to put the name of God before who I am. If I say I'm happy, it's always I am. I am has to go before my name. You know? And so what it's saying is that even existence, your, our existence itself, the mystery of us, for us to say I am, it's because he's I am. And so our existence is that. And so even, even if we say, listen, you know, I, am, I feel I'm alone, I'm, I am I am. Well, you're not alone because you have I am. <laughs> I am alone. I am is with you in that too. So every moment, everyone on earth, even people who don't who don't know God, have to.
to voice it and you have to put God, you have to say his name first, you know, so meaning the, the flow of life is that you have to, you have to start everything with God. And it's not just the word to live to God or live, you know, I want to, well, we are, but you know, I want to make it to God. It's that we're to live from God. Every moment we do, it's I am. Everything we do, do it from him. And that's really the secret of living in victory and life. It starts with I am. Yeah, and that's that to me. Um, this assist. I mean, it helped me understand too my relationship with, with God. And, and as, as trite as that might sound, when you ponder that, that simple, those sim- two simple words, "I am," um, very well done. And and, and again, it, it it really uplifted me, inspired me. It, uh, but it instilled a sense of. Um, I don't want to say godliness, but a, a relationship. Just that one chapter. Yeah, and, he, and even when we, when we say Jesus, I mean, you know, we know, of course, Jesus' is, real name is Yeshua. And Yeshua is, you know, throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, it says, my, you know, God will become my salvation. Well, that's God. And he, God will become my Yeshua. And, yes, and he did. And Yeshua, or Jesus, Yeshua literally means Yahweh. Is salvation. It's Y H V H. Is I am is salvation. So God will become even in that. And we know what He says before Abraham was. I am. You know that's also part of the mystery that in all things when it's He's on the cross, it's I am is with us. You know, matter even when we mess up, we're in sin on the cross. I am is there in that too. You know, so so it, it, He's all in all, and that that's it. He, it's the ultimate mystery is Him. Amen. And folks, if you're joining us late, I know some people are. We're talking with Jonathan Kahn, the the uh, the author of his new book, The Book of Mysteries. Folks, go to mysteries uh, mysteriesbook dot com. That's mysteriesbook dot com. Of course, you know uh, Jonathan Kahn is the author of The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah. Um, fantastic author. But this particular book, you talk about a, a just a, a different kind of book, one that will grab you and inspire you in instill wisdom, I felt anyway, that's uh, really to to me I I just want to pay the highest of compliments to the author they're very kind, and, and 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 they can get it. Also, it's it's everywhere. You know, Walmart, yes. Amazon. I mean, it's it's been everywhere. You know, so. But again, it's this is the first week. That's uh, and and uh, let me ask you, how's it doing? Um, it, it's is is it broken the New York Times bestseller list? I mean, I, I well, from we don't know yet. Except, I mean, about yeah. that part, except that because you don't know it's it's a delay of about two weeks. You know, before they right, take right. everything in. But but it um, rocketed up. It's it's in the top 100 of the five million books that are out there. It's in the top 500. I mean, top 100. It's, it was like 36 or something of all the books in the world. So it's doing very well. You know, everywhere. Yeah, it's doing very well. That's yeah, great. doing um, it. I mean, as in the Harbinger, it's 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 they're telling me it's it's doing great all over. Fantastic. I hope that continues. The uh, this book, the Book of Mysteries, opens up you know a number of different mysteries from um, you know some of the ones I've written down here from the House of Spirits, uh, the Mystery Nation. That's one I really like. It also talks about the uh, what's happening with the end times, the mysteries of the end times. And you have one yeah. called the Apostasia. Can you explain? Yes. That? Sure, sure, and, and there's several, you know, there's several streams on the end times, of course, as well. Yeah, here's one of the, and this is the, the, the where the teacher, I think, is, I'm not sure if they're sharing, he's outside by a 
Empire or something. Oh, no, actually, takes them to the Chamber of Books on this one and opens up a book that where the picture is fading away and the words are fading away and reveals the mystery of the apostasy. And we know there's a, there's a great falling away when, when that has to happen in the end times. And we, we see that all around. And we think of that, and it's true, you know, the falling away from the faith. Apostasy comes from the Greek apostasia, but apostasia has another mystery in it that's missed, that's generally overlooked completely. Apostasia means not only the falling away from one's belief or one's stand, it also means the, literally the, the departure from the state of being. And in other words, in, this, in the age when you see, at the end times, you'll see a falling away from faith, a falling away which, we're, which we see, at the same time, and linked to it, we will also see a phenomenon of the falling away or the departure from the state of being, apostasy, or the, the, the falling away from stasis, the state of being. What does that mean? In the end times, you will see the apostasy, you will see men falling away from the state of manhood, women falling away from the state of womanhood, marriage falling away from the state of marriage, family from the state of family, a man falling away from the state of man or humanity. And that is exactly what we are witnessing, and that's just as profound, just as real as the falling away from faith. In fact, when it goes together, you know, because when the, the, the creation it came into existence because of the Word. And so when you fall away from the Word, you fall away from the state of creation. So here is something very definite, very specific that we are witnessing right now, but it was all, in a sense, hidden or revealed in the actual original language of the Bible. Man, okay. And talk about insight into the present day. Uh, past, uh, obviously past this prologue, but we, we've seen this before historically. We've seen this uh, uh, referenced, of course, in, in detail in the Bible, and, and now you're talking about this, and, and really, uh, in your book, and again, folks, the book is, uh, by Jonathan Cahn, the book of mysteries, as depicted right here, or as, as you can see right here on, uh, if you're watching YouTube Live, it's right here. It's a fantastic book, so that's the that's about the apostasy, but let me back up just a minute here, because I, I, I've got kind of a personal favorite one of my one of several personal favorites backing up to the mystery of the mysteries of the rabbis now um perhaps you know maybe at the periphery you've you've sure. references in this conversation but but if you can get into, give us a little bit more yeah. or, or, let's, yeah. let's let's address that the mysteries of the rabbis yeah some of the some of the streams of the mysteries are are that as well there's amazing things that are hidden in the writings of the rabbis that amazingly show and 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 lift up Jesus even though they even either didn't realize it or had no idea um in the book the teacher takes the the disciple into it, the chamber of books where he takes out these large books which are the the talmud or the writings of the rabbis um and for instance there there's one i make called the secret of yoma um and that and and where it goes into that that hidden in the writings of the rabbis the ancient writings they actually they reveal that that strange things began happening in the temple of jerusalem as indicating a cosmic change that something gigantic had happened even linked to salvation or linked to linked to how we get saved uh, 
gigantic, all sorts of strange supernatural things start happening, and the rabbis recorded them. And in their books, one is one is the book of Yoma, where they recorded it. And they, for instance, they said that the 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 great golden doors of the temple would suddenly open by themselves, and they would keep doing this. And then you know they would they were once as one rabbi was rebuking them and saying, "Stop doing it." it the same saying like the way to God was open, just like like you see in the New Testament. You have the you have the curtain, the veil that is that is that is you know torn apart in the holy of holies. Well, this is the the next partition, next barrier, and the rabbis are like the second witness of it that the way was open. But but then they go further because when did this begin happening? According to the mystery, they 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 dated it. They said these things began happening. This cosmic change took place at about forty years before the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed. Well, when was that? Forty years before is thirty A.D. or right around thirty A.D., which is when that's just when Messiah around the time of Messiah coming, the time of the the cross, the time of the resurrection, the time of the cosmic change. So even the rabbis are bearing witness of Messiah without even knowing it. And there's nothing in history where you have such a such a witness, a hostile witness, bearing witness to the truth of Messiah. And another one with that is, I mean, along with that, there's something called the the scepter of Judah is one of the mysteries there. And that that without going into detail, it's 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 from the book of Sanhedrin, the the very Sanhedrin that rejected Jesus. And yet they have on there, they give a time, the time period when Messiah has to come, or the, or the time date by which he has to come, and they, the date they give is the time when Jesus came. And this, this is, the, this is the, the Sanhedrin. So, you know, there, there's another one in the, called the Shabbat Mystery Code, and that is what the Jewish people do on the Sabbath, there's actually an, an exact liturgy that is filled, that gives the exact blueprint of the age to come. And not that whether they know it or not, it's all there. So there's a there's a lot on that stream too, but it's amazing, and most most you know Christians don't know about it, and also most Jewish people don't know about it. Yeah, exactly, and, and I, you're you're exactly right. The the other thing I realized, uh, and I mentioned about you know feeling like uh, I was being instilled with wisdom. The other thing, it's the um, it reminds me uh, the, the book did remind me the fact that yeah, I mean my gaps in knowledge are immense and. This kind of fills that void, and as I was going through this book too, um, I, I can't, I couldn't help but think of the Russian nesting dolls because it seems like in many of the <laughs> mysteries, as you mentioned, you know, you, you take one doll out, and, and then of course, our audience members, I'm sure, are familiar with the Russian nesting dolls, where there are dolls within dolls within dolls, um, and that's kind of the way this. This plays out the book, many yes. mysteries, you know, and it's just yes, and then that's true. And I find that when I'm when I'm also when these things are coming, it's generally like, whoa, and this one, this one then sparks this one, and this one it connects to this one, and, and yeah, and so there are there are many mysteries that are you know simply there are you know unto themselves, and then there are the mysteries that are mysteries with themselves, but then they're also part of a bigger mystery, as he said, you know that that keeps keeps going and keeps going and keeps going, and then many of them, well, they they. Can, they kind of come together at the end, and also a lot of things at the end starts going towards towards the heavenly as well. There are many uh, uh, mysteries in this book that are uh, very deep and, and uh, take a lot of uh, research and, and time to you know to look go through to understand. Can you give us um, some examples of, of some of the things that uh, the deeper meanings that you came yeah. across while writing this? 
Yeah, we can just uh, you know, a little bit. I mean, I mean, one is you know the, one of the most mysterious things we mentioned before. You know, is Melchizedek, and, the, and there's going to be a very there's one in there, and actually it's in, in the newest thing that he printed called the Mystery of Melchizedek, which I think is going to be very surprising because it, 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 there's there's someone you know everybody knows a very famous person in the New Testament that is actually part of the the the, the puzzle piece of of, of 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 the Mystery of Melchizedek um, that we would never think, but it, but absolutely so. I'll I'll mention one and said you know also I mean something. About entering the heavenly dimension that, you know, when you go into the temple, uh, if you go into the Holy of Holies, you're, you're seeing, first you see these, when you look at the veils, you're seeing depictions of cherubim. And the depictions of the cherubim are are two-dimensional. You know, they're on the veil. They're two-dimensional. But when, once you go into the Holy of Holies, you then see the, the cherubim as the golden, the golden statues, which are now three-dimensional. So literally, you went, by going through the veil, you go from the two-dimensional to the three-dimensional. And and so there's a there's a there's a mystery about entering the heavenly dimension. Well, you could say the fourth dimension, the fifth dimension, but that we actually there's a way in God and the Spirit that we are to enter into new realms and new dimensions, and that's called how to I believe how to enter the heavenly realm. There's something called the Haftorah mystery, which is that there's a they actually go into the chamber. The teacher leads them into the chamber of scrolls, and there's one scroll that is that you know every every week from ancient times the Jewish people. Read Read a scripture, read a passage of scripture that's appointed for that week every day. I mean, you know, I mean, every every Sabbath there is another another pointed, and one one part of it's from the Torah or the Law, and the other's part from the Prophets. Generally, so the, so the amazing thing is that that one of the most prophetic events in our lifetime, I mean, prophetic, well, ever, when it happened, there was actually a scripture appointed from ancient times being read all over the world that marked the very day. I'll just I'll just say this. I mean, you can guess, but mark the day, May 15th, or May 14th and 15th, the, the rebirth of Israel was on a Sabbath. It began on the, it, began, it was at, they announced at nighttime, or just before the nightfall, and then Sabbath came. Well, there was a, a scripture appointed for that very day, which was appointed from thousands of years ago, and that was literally fulfilled, it was God's prophecy fulfilled on that day. It's, a, it's a absolutely amazing. I, I well, I'm not going to give anything away from that. I think he did a fantastic job uh, <laughs> referencing that. Uh, uh, folks, if you're joining us just now, or uh, if you've been with us, of course, our guest is Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, author of a brand new book, The Book of Mysteries, the website, mysteriesbook.com. But folks, you can get it just about everywhere, as uh, Rabbi Kahn said. Uh, I would urge also, everyone to grab it. Hopeoftheworld.org. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. This is something that we, we haven't talked about too much. I would urge everybody to go here bookmark the site and there are uh you can you can sign up you can become a member and you can with with the membership status you can uh receive different messages a monthly message from from Mr. Khan as well as uh you know newsletters and whatnot and there's a lot of stuff to check out on the website that's hopeoftheworld.org and you can uh, you guys are great i mean i don't usually even pray that you're you're right and yeah we give prophetic updates and we give you know we give free gifts as well they'll get these and and to get deeper because the other thing about with the, with the book of mysteries at the bottom you'll also see scriptures that to go deeper and a lot of people you know they do it and then they find then they they find things that are not even there that or d or other mysteries from it but also then there's a uh, kind of a, a thing to get if they want to get really deep then there are the, there are teachings full teachings that go the, the, you know to get really deep into any one mystery so everything has that at the below too and that's where hope of the world has that you know on the on the, the site there that's right and my wife even mentioned to me uh 
uh, she said, you know, because she saw me reading the book, and she said, you did not pick up your Bible when you read that book, uh, knowing that, uh, of course, after she read the, the, the and this is part of it and saw the uh, scriptures. So I was, uh, uh, shame yeah. on me, but I'm going to go back and definitely cross-reference and read it. Rabbi Jonathan Kahn is our guest for uh, two more segments, graciously giving the gift of his time, his insight, his knowledge. Folks, we're going to be right back. Just stay right where you're at. Hagman and Hagman Report. So pleased, so honored to have as our guest Jonathan Kahn, a very prolific author, best-selling author of The Harbinger, The Mystery of the Shemitah, and now The Book of Mysteries, uh, requirement for all libraries across the world. So wherever you're at in the world, grab a hold of your copy of The Book of Mysteries by Rabbi Kahn. Uh, you will not be disappointed, and it's unlike any other book. It's hard to describe, but again, I feel like I got a shot of B12 wisdom, and that's just the way it speaks to, to uh, Mr. Khan's writing, his writing abilities, but also the content, content rich. Before we get back to Mr. Khan, let me ask you something, folks. Have you gone to MinutemanStove.com yet? Have you gone to MinutemanStove.com? If you haven't done so, I would urge everyone to, to go to MinutemanStove.com. Take advantage of their specials. The Minuteman Rocket Stove is what they offer. It's a perfect survival cooking stove for you and your family for a number of reasons. I'm not going to list them all, but it is a, a stove that makes the most out of whatever you have, uh, sticks and twigs. It doesn't require that much, just a small amount of uh, fuel to, uh, um, well, even if you if you live in the city or suburb, you can find fuel for your Minuteman stove. And the, the stove is fully insulated with ceramic uh, uh, refractory insulation. You can actually put it on top of a car, uh, put it on your picnic table. The outside only gets to 200 degrees. The inside, oh, yeah, the inside just, just bakes. Now, when you're using the Minuteman stove, you'll notice that it creates no smoke. It's virtually smokeless, which surprised me. I don't know why, but it, it look, folks, I'm not an outdoorsy kind of guy, okay? You know, I get off pavement, I get lost. So, uh, but this won't give away your location if, they, if you're concerned about that or even bothering others. It's, uh, self-contained and seals airtight for travel storage. We can actually use it and put it in the, in the back of our vehicle. It doesn't stink up the vehicle. It's uh, the only self-contained rocket stove on the market. That's MinutemanStove.com, MinutemanStove.com. Again, proud to offer that through the Hagman and Hagman Report. Again, our guest is Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. And, you know, I just noticed, I want to give a shout-out to uh, Leslie and Christy and uh, Nancy and, and others who responded to our Facebook posting promotion of this show. Thank you so much for joining us, your kind comments. And uh, Mr. Kahn does have a Facebook page as well. Let's use the system given to us uh, to 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 spread the the word and isn't that something we can while well, we still can while well, we still can so joe i'm going to kick it over to you 
Yeah, again, we're talking with Jonathan Connor's latest book, the Mis- the Book of Mysteries. It's a fantastic book that goes through uh, 365 mysteries, and one of the most beautiful mysteries of the ages, and revealed in this new book. And I also saw this uh, separate on your website, Jonathan, is the mystery of the bridegroom. Can you get into this a little bit? Yeah, yeah, the mystery of the bride and groom, and that's it's really you know, it's really the mystery behind the Bible. I mean, you know, to begin with, the, from beginning to end, it's a mystery. It's a mystery that is prophetic, that it it, it gears right into the end times, um, and it's a mystery that's personal because it has to do with every reader, every person, and God. Um, yeah, the you know, it goes from and in, in the in the book, I believe the this is one of the streams. It's actually a mystery that happens that keeps developing, getting bigger and bigger, where the the teacher takes the the you know the traveler down to a tent village in the where they live in the desert as in the days of you know, the Bible pretty much and there are those who still do um, and and he takes them to to witness basically the biblical marriage the Hebrew marriage because the Hebrew marriage is what is what contains this mystery when when the Lord talked about marriage he was talking about the, or the wedding he was talking about the Hebrew marriage and so it is so it's so awesome what's in there and that is in the Hebrew marriage and, and you know throughout the book you're kind of taking part in the wedding as you see it. And that is, uh, in order for it to begin, the, the bridegroom had always to make a journey from the house of the bridegroom to the house of the bride, always, and had to, to make that journey, go to her house, had to be received in, and then there he would pledge his love to her by offering up a treasure for her called in Hebrew, the Mohar, a treasure. And she would have to, if she was, you know, she would have to accept it or not, and if she accepted, they would they would share a cup of wine together and enter into a covenant. They'd be pledged to each other. And then, at that point, they were considered a husband and wife, but they wouldn't see each other because he would go back to where he came from and he would journey back and he would he would there spend the year they'd be separate at least a year he would spend the time preparing a home for his new future bride and the bride would spend the year getting ready to say goodbye to leave her the house of her childhood and, and get ready become a bride get beautiful and all that and so the thing is then the, the wedding day would come it would usually often take place at night and uh, the bridegroom would come with dressed as a king with his with his groomsmen and holding torches and, and a great procession with the village and they would come wherever wherever however far they had to make the they made the journey it was the second journey and she, he would come to the bride one more time they'd stand face to face she would take off her veil they would see each other and then they would be lifted up on this sedan chair and carried away by this great throng, this great uh, crowd of people celebrating as they made the journey from the house of the bride to the house of the bridegroom and they would, as they got there, the, the bridegroom's house would be prepared and they would receive them in and they would sit under the canopy or the hoopah and they would, as king and queen and then they would share that cup of wine again and then go into a chamber separately and become one. That is the bride and groom. That's the Hebrew marriage, the Bible, the Bible's marriage. Well, the mystery is this. God, throughout the book, God is the bridegroom. We are the bride, or we are created to become the bride, and that's why we're never, we're never, we're always empty until we find him. We try to marry ourselves to, and join ourselves to other things. But then, in order for the mystery to happen, for the marriage, the bridegroom has to make that journey from his house to the house of the bride. So, two, according to the mystery, 2,000 years ago, God makes the journey from his house 
to our house, from heaven to earth to Israel, and ultimately to our lives. He's the God who comes to us. We don't get to him. He comes to us. He knocks on the door. We have to receive him in. And what does he do? The bridegroom, according to the mystery, has to offer a, a pledge, a, a treasure for the bride to set her free from her house. Then he offers that while he's in her house. Uh, so what happened 2,000 years ago? It's called the Mohar. He offered up the Mohar, which was his own life. That is the bridal price. And that's what sets us free. And then we are considered pledged or consecrated. But, you know, if, if we, there's, there's a covenant, a cup of wine, just as, as Messiah did. And then, according to the mystery, the groom has to go back to his house and leave her house. So Messiah left her house. He's got to prepare a place. He said, I have to go now, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I am, you're going to come. I'm going to come back and take you to myself. And so what happens? So the, the, now is the time of the separation. He's there. We're here. But we have to be preparing for that day. That we're to be preparing. That's why the Bible, at the end of Revelation, it's all wedding. It's the wedding day. And then it's the, then it's the, the joining of God event. And so the end of prophecy, it's a wedding. So the final thing comes, there'll be one more journey, which is the second coming of the bridegroom. And he, he will journey this time, not humbly, but in glory, as a king will come by night, torchlight. We need to be ready, and he will take us into the, the house of the bride, the kingdom, ultimately to heaven. And whether we're alive for that day in prophecy or whether we all, it's when we meet him, when we're finished with this life, it'll be the same thing. He'll take us to the house of the bridegroom, what we dreamed of, and for the first time in our lives, we'll be home. Uh, fantastic, Jonathan. You alluded to this earlier about how things can be lost in translation between the uh, original scriptures that are written in, in Hebrew versus the English language, in which I would urge everybody to get a concordance and, and you know, uh, a good program on the computer is the eSword program. You can download it for free. You can get the concordance for free and get these translations because so much uh, happens to be lost in translation. As you said, a lot of the words have um, a lot more meaning behind them than the English language allows for. Uh, and oh, oh yeah, this is, yeah. There, there's a lot of Hebrew mysteries, a lot of things from the Bible you just could not because there's no one word that you know that can that could can capture it. Um, there's a thing called the the mystery of the divine pluralities, and I mentioned one when I mentioned Elohim, but the fact is there there's several, and there's, there's only a handful, but of these peculiar words in the in the Bible that in the original language have these unique qualities that that they are written only in the plural, and one of them is you know we talk about. God having mercy and love for us, but in the Hebrew, he doesn't. He only has mercies, rachamim, which, or loves, meaning what it's saying is the love of God, the mercy of God is so big, so great, you can't contain it. The word for sin is singular, but the word for his love and mercy is plural, so it means no matter how much sin we have, there's always more, more love, more mercy. You can never exhaust it. it can never, you can never come to the end of it, and all these, the interesting thing is at, as you get to the end of the, or the, the latter part of the book, these, these different mysteries of pluralities, they end up coming all together in heaven. Because when you look at the vision of heaven in the Bible, it's fill all these particular words that are peculiar of pluralities, they all come together in heaven because there's no end, no end of heaven. It goes on. You can't contain it. But there's one word which, you, you know, when you read Isaiah 53 about the Messiah dying for our sins, you wouldn't see it because this this didn't have to be written like it, but it is. It's a peculiarity. When you read it, it says, it says he died, it says, with a rich man in his death. But in Hebrew, the original language doesn't say that. You won't see it in Hebrew, but in the original it says, with a rich man in his 
deaths, plural. In other words, Messiah didn't die one death. He died all of our deaths. In the Hebrew, it's there. And not only that, but the, but the Hebrew means that the death that he died for us is so gigantic, though even the word death cannot contain it. That's how much he loved us. That's fascinating. Um, moving along here, Jonathan, this is one that I have not read in the book yet, but... Um, this is intriguing to me. What is the ninth of Av mystery, and how does it reveal the mystery behind the existence of America? Man, this blew my mind. I mean, really. Yeah, yeah. There is a, a mystery. There's a day in the Bible called the ninth of Av, and on that day, I mean, God is so so perfect and precise. The, the first temple of Jerusalem was destroyed on the ninth of Av by Babylon. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans hundreds of years later on the same exact day, the ninth of Av. And then when you look through through Jewish history, you find that all these great calamities take place on the same day. The the uh, the for instance, when they were when the Jewish people were were thrown out of expelled from England, ninth of Av, expelled from France, ninth of Av, expelled from Spain, ninth of Av, um, the the Holocaust, ninth of Av. Um, so all these things. But then there's the tenth of Av mystery, and that there's another thing in there. One of the mysteries is called the tenth of Av, and that is that whenever God brings judgment, there's always a hope, there's always a redemption that He's planning. I mean. You, the first thing's over, then he's planning, you know, the old covenant, and he's planning a new covenant. He's, so the tenth of Av is sort of the beginning of the redemption, or beginning when he's planning something. So here's the thing. This is linked to the very existence of America itself is linked to this ancient Hebrew mystery. The timing, the very beginning of American civilization. And, and here's the thing. On the ninth of Av, in, in a, a years ago in Spain, the Jewish people were fleeing for their lives. They were expelled from Spain. It was one of the greatest tragedies in Jewish history because it was their major refuge was Spain. So they had to get out or be killed, so they're fleeing the harbors, they're fleeing the ships, they're fleeing every, every, they're just out of there. And But in the same exact harbor, well, let me tell you, the year that they had to get out was the year 1492. The, the, the month was August. And so in the same harbor, three of those ships were the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria. These two events of world history are happening at the exact same time, not by accident. It's according to the mystery. And that is that, that, that in the same harbors, same, same land, same year, same month, same week. So the Jewish people are, the tra- greatest tragedy happens that the ninth of Av. But on the 10th of Av, the next day, the three ships set sail to discover America. Now, what is America? Amer- in other words, when God, when the, when the greatest refuge was lost for the Jewish people, God was, at that very day, he begins the, what will become America, which will be the greatest refuge of the Jewish people in the future. The greatest refuge. So the very, even America's existence itself goes back to the ancient mystery that goes all the way back to the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C. Wow. Um, only fitting if we can move here next, uh, day 54, the mystery nation, while we're talking about nations. Yeah, well, um, well, that, that, you know, there is one nation on earth that, def- in a nutshell, that defies every law of, of history, every law of logic, every, um, one nation, like if you came from another planet and you looked at the earth and you said, you know, wait, wait, there's something, you'd say there's something going on here with this nation. And that is that, I mean, while every other nation passes away, every, every great power passes away, there's one nation that keeps on going no matter what, and that is the nation of Israel. The very nation that God 
God put on the earth. It, it's eternal by God's word. So there's no way. He said, you know, so, so when you see, you know, you go to a museum today, you go to New York, where I'm around where we are, go to, you'll see the, you know, you'll see all the great empires that were so great back then, and, they're, and you know, Egypt, Assyria, all, and they're gone. They're nothing. There's nothing. They're stone. But in the same museum, you'll, you'll see Jewish people walking around because they're alive. You know, every nation, every nation that tried to destroy the Jewish people is gone. I mean, I mean, is gone or fell or empire fell. But the nation of Israel lives because the God of Israel lives. So the proof, one of the major proofs of God on earth is very simply that, that the Jewish people, after, after all hell tried to destroy them for 4,000 years, they were as alive as they ever were. Israel is right in the center of the news as much as it ever was because the God of Israel is real, the, the word of God from Israel is real, the Messiah of Israel is real, and therefore, therefore we live because of that. So that's the right, that the, the Israel is the mystery nation. Yes, it is. And, uh, when I read that, that, uh, that just, uh, you know, opened my eyes and it, it's so very true. And all the nations that did come against Israel are gone, but Israel and its people are still around. Um, you know, if I can just, uh, pun in here a little bit. To, to me, when I read the Bible, I mean, I, I have, I, I think I've got a pretty good understanding of things, but it's nice to read books like the Book of Mysteries, where this, at least for me, broadens my horizons a little bit, and it actually acts as like a counselor. I mean, the, the book, the book is my now is is going to become my companion to the Bible, um, because it complements and enrich enriches my understanding of the Bible. It, it, that's just me, but I think that that. I have to believe that would have the effect. Um, you know, other people would see that as an effect of, of this. Book. Well, that's you know, and then, and then when you tell me that, I mean, is, is you know, I, and again, this is because it's the first week; it just came out. You know, this is where I'm getting, you know, beginning to get all these things back from as we're reading it, and that's the best thing I could hear. That's it, you know, and and it, it's I want it's to be more than just hey, you're reading something, you know. Yeah, and so, so in that in that vein, miss, uh, mission accomplished. Now, if we can go here, and if you if you don't want to go here yet, you can let us know. Uh, I want to be respectful of your time. You have we we spoke earlier about the prophetic update on uh, yes. events yes. taking place uh, length of the shemitah. Now you brought us yes. the, the the mystery of the sh- uh, shemitah, but and many people are asking this, and I'll ask this on their behalf. What is the mystery of the shmika, not the shmika, but the shmika. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> is, is that all right? Or, or again, uh, yeah, it, is, it, it is totally right. Yeah, I have a yeah, and I have an update on the shmika. If you at one point, if you well, want, okay. Um, well, well what, we'll start wherever first, wherever it makes sense. Okay, I'll do that. I'll do that, and then I'll get in, I'll get into the, the shmika. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, well, here now. Remember, I mean, you know, the last of the Shemitah of 2008, and you have the actual day of the Bible, Elul 29, the day when everything has to get wiped out, and on the, that was September 29, 2008, and you have the greatest wipeout in the financial realm of in stock market history and Wall, Wall Street history on the exact day down to as as the, like the closing bell. Well, well, that that has been the greatest day, and it still is the, great, the greatest day of Wall Street. And, and the one bef- you know, the one before it, well, that was also on the Shemitah on the exact day. But the the greatest crash since then in the world, as far as a world crash, happened just this summer with when when at Brexit when when Great Britain withdrew from the European Union, as you remember, and the global markets just totally you know crashed. It was the worst crash since since September 29th, the day of the Shemitah in 2008. Well, 
Now, here's the thing. If you, in the Bible, the, the Shemitah had, was linked to God's timing. You know, it was the, the 70 years in judgment in Babylon were linked to the timing of the Shemitah. It, it's linked to timing, and timing of often of calamities. Well, when you, if you take the moment that, of that, you know, that, last, that Shemitah of September 29, 2008, when you, on the actual day when you have the greatest wipeout in history, and, and the, the number that, it's the day of sevens, it's the seventh, the end of the seventh year, and how how much is wiped out? Seven, seven, seven point seven points. I mean, seven, seven. Now, if you go back from that day and you go back by those by those numbers from that exact moment, you go back seven biblical years. It'll take you exactly to the closing bell of September September seventeenth, two thousand one, right after nine eleven, and you have the other greatest crash in world history to that date. It was the greatest crash at the time, and so down to the down to the second, down to the closing bell, seven years. But then, if you go back another seven, it takes seven days, the seventh day will take you to an interesting day. It'll lead you to 9-11. And it'll lead you to actually 4 p.m. 9-11, because that's the closing bell. Then if you go back seven hours, it leads you to 9 o'clock on 9-11, which is the hour of the of 9-11. And then if you go back two sevens of, of minutes, it takes you to 8-46, which is the actual minute of 9-11. Now, what happens if you go the other way? What happens if you go in the future? You take the same exact moment, this is September 29, 2008, the Shemitah moment, 777.7, and go forward in time. Seven years, seven months, seven weeks, and seven days. Where does it take you? It takes you to Friday, June 24th, 2016, the day of England, of, of Brexit, and the other greatest crash in world history. The exact day. And even secular the newspapers noted that that's what something's going on. There are articles about this linking that the moment of seven 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 point seven on Wall Street taking it to the bread. They had, they didn't know about the Shemitah and they didn't know about the other one before it, but even they recognized it. So even in that, the pattern has been exact. God's fingerprints. I mean, God's fingerprints. I I don't know how else to describe it. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's it's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, 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 I said it the same way, you know, that, you know, it's like, it's like with the Shemitah, you know, when you get to that, that day, the last one, it's like the, the fingerprints of God and the, and, and the, the marks of seven were all over the place. I mean, I mean, how much more clearer can you get on the exact day appointed by God at the end of the seventh year, seven years from the last one exactly to the day, on uh, the day of the day when seven percent is wiped out of the market, seven, seven, seven point seven, and now this. I mean, I, and I didn't, I didn't originally see this, but this, this, the, literally the secular world picked up on this without knowing the Shemitah. This kind of authenticates what, you, what you've been writing about and speaking about um, in, in ways that you could have never expected, mm-hmm. at least in my view. No. Fantastic. No, and you can't. You know, um, yeah. And now as far as now to, to go to the mystery of the Shemitah as opposed to the Shemitah, and, that, and that's in the book. Um, really, and, you know, there's so much there, and I've, it's one of the things I have never not heard, and it's there, and it's so, so clear once you see it. At one of the mysteries of the Bible, you know, before a sacrifice could be lifted up, there had to be something performed, a specific uh, ritual performed on the sacrifice that's called the Shemitah. And that is this, the 
the priest would have to take his hands, literally the palms of his hands, and place it on the head of the sacrifice and identify, in a sense, he becomes one with the sacrifice, so the sacrifice can die for his sins. And 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 then he would confess over the sacrifice this, either his sins or the sins of the people. So it was called a smicha. It would be a transfer, transference of sin. He'd have to put the palms of his hands on the head of the sacrifice. Now, this happened on Yom Kippur, the holiest day of the year, but it happened with every sin offering. Same thing. So always, you could not offer up the sacrifice until this happened. Well, the Bible says that Messiah, Jesus, is the sacrifice. So could the smicha have been performed? Well, here's the thing. You know, who offers up the sacrifice? The priest do. Where was Messiah taken before he was offered up? To the priest. It's not an accident. The Sanhedrin, they were corrupt. They didn't know what they were doing. But they were doing the, they were delivering the sacrifice. So what did they do? But according to the mystery, the hands of the priest must touch the head of the sacrifice. So what happens is when they took him before the Sanhedrin, the Bible records, when they, when they pronounced judgment, it says the priest, so all, all the, the, all the, they started, they started buffeting him. They started striking him with their hands on his head. They're, the hands of the priest had to touch the head of the sacrifice. And literally in the Greek, it says the palms of their hands touched his head. So this is the smicha. But according to the smicha, there has to be a, a confession of sin onto the sacrifice. Well, was that? Yes. What happened is, at the same moment, the high priest said, he is guilty of blasphemy. Well, according to the smicha, it's not, it's not the sacrifice of sin, it's the sins of those who offer him. So they are confessing their own sin. The sin is the sin of the, the blasphemy is the sin of the high priest. And it's the sin of man, they're representing it. Israel, it's our sin. Man is God from the garden. So here they, they perform the smicha, and then he's delivered to be offered up. And according to the mystery, and there are many mysteries of the temple in the, in the book of mysteries, one of them is that, you know, he is, on Yom Kippur, they take the two goats, and they, you know, the, high, the priest puts them in front of the people, one on his left side, one on his right side. One of the, one of the goats is chosen to be the scapegoat, to escape. The other is chosen to be the sacrifice to the Lord. And so what happened before Messiah was offered up? It wasn't two goats. It was two men presented in front of the people. It was Messiah, Jesus, and Barabbas. But he was the other goat, the other, the other one, the other life. It's not two goats. It's two, two human lives. And we always know Barabbas. You know, he's the criminal, and that's like a representation of us. But Barabbas is the one who goes free, and Messiah is the one who dies. But there's a mystery even there. Behind the name Barabbas, in Hebrew, his real, it's a really a Hebrew name. His real name is Barabba. Now, Messiah, now, according to the, the ancient rabbis, they said that the, they recorded that in the temple when this happened. The two, sac- the two goats had to look alike. They had to be identical, so you couldn't tell them apart. Well, Messiah is the son of the father. Barabbas, Barabba, means the son of the father. So exactly even in that, how perfect God is. And the thing is that for us to get saved, any one of us, in order to get saved, you, you might not have known it, but you have to perform the smicha. You're reaching across time and space and you're touching Jesus and you're identifying with him and you're saying you died for my sins you're confessing your sins onto him who already took it you're performing the smicha he died we go free very powerful Mr. Khan uh, we're coming up against the, to- uh, the a break so we're going to hold off until we come back folks you're listening to Jonathan Khan his newest book The Book of Mysteries is a fascinating read very powerful um, full of mysteries that are 
uh, unlocked, uh, unsealed, if you will, and uh, shared for all to read. Again, the Book of Mysteries. You can go to www.mysteriesbook.com or go to hopeoftheworld.org or Amazon or at your local retailers to pick up this book. Just came out this week, and I have not read through it. My dad, my dad has. Oh, I've man. cherry picked it, as I said, and what I have read and what I've heard from Mr. Khan tonight uh, continues to to just build up and I just want to continue to to read it and finish it. It's it's really a a, a gift that uh to to me it's it's just a a gift of inspiration and wisdom. Wisdom keeps coming to me. I just keep thinking about the word wisdom. Um uh, and, and boy do I need that, folks. Uh again, Jonathan Cohn's our guest. Uh, I want to say this. Do yourself a favor, folks. Do yourself a, give yourself a treat. Find Jonathan Cohn's uh uh addressing the Congress on Capitol Hill. His speeches on Capitol Hill. Watch those videos. Also, the the one given to the UN. I mean, oh. I think you did two separate times, but they're both mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. What a what a marvelous speaker, Jonathan Cons, our guest. You're listening oh. to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Be right back. Jonathan Kahn, New York Times bestselling author of The Harbinger and The Mystery of the Shemitah, his latest book, The Book of Mysteries, available in at Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, all the retail outlets. You can also go to mysteriesbook.com, and I would urge everybody who is listening and can get the book to get the book, as it is a fantastic read and something that you can continue to read even after you're done reading it. You know, I, we, Joe, I, I just I couldn't resist jumping ahead. in here. I, I want to tell you, I told Jack... No, I said his name. That's all right. There's a lot of people named Jack. Um, my neighbor about the book. Okay, he's on his way over. He's on his way over right now to the studio to uh, uh, to, to to borrow. He thinks he's going to borrow my copy. He's going to buy a copy. That's what he's going to do. Go ahead. Um, we got one segment left with Rabbi Khan, and we're going to continue to dig into to some of these mysteries that he has in the book. Um, Jonathan, we got about 26 minutes left in the segment. I don't want to take away from the important message that you're trying to to bring here today. So I'm going to turn it over to you and let you get into some of the the important mysteries that you want to get into in this book. Okay, well, okay, and and feel free, you know, in every way. Um, the well, uh, another stream I would say of mysteries are are the that you'll find in the book of mysteries is the, is the mysteries of Eden, and that is that that from the beginning you know you see the end, and and there's a link between those things, and you know you see it for I mean, and there's so many of it. You see it, for instance, you know we we all have the picture from the Bible of of the Lord wearing the crown of thorns. Well, why did He do that? Well, it goes back to Eden. The, the symbol of the curse was the thorns that come up from the earth. Thorns and thistles will bear it. So what is the crown of thorns? It's that he becomes the king of of the curse, that the curse comes upon him. He's the king of our burdens. He's the king of our sorrows, all those things. And why did he even die, you know, on Friday? You know, what was that about? Well, it's because in the Hebrew, it's not just Friday. It's the, Friday is the sixth day. Man was created on the sixth day, and so therefore man is redeemed 
dreamed on the sixth day. And, you know, get a little deep here, you know, you know, in the, on the sixth day, God created man in his image. That, but on the sixth day, what happened in redemption on that Friday, what happened is they beat God, you know, man, they, 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 they depicted, they made him look like a sinner. They, 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 they made him deformed and they made him look like a fallen man, a fall, like a fallen Adam. Well, because if the sixth day God created man in his image, on the sixth day, 2,000 years ago, man created God in his image. He came, he made him into the image of sin. And then on the sixth day, God, God brought man, he placed him in a garden. On the sixth day, 2,000 years ago, God, man placed God in a garden tomb, a garden of life or a garden of death, a garden of life you know, brings death, and the garden of death brings life. And one of the things that, that and there's so much there, but it's just how perfect God is from the beginning to the end. That's why, you know, the mysteries begins in Genesis, ends in Revelation. There are things that go right together. Only God could put that together. I mean, there, there are, um, you know, the, the fact is, you know, we know that when Messiah died, the veil was torn in two. But, what, you know, but if you remember, when man was thrown out of the garden, the, the cherubim were set up to block the way to be barriers because of sin. So they blocked the way. Well, but people don't realize throughout the temple, on every veil and every and every barrier, there was, it wasn't just a barrier, but the cherubim were placed on every barrier. And so when Messiah died and that veil was torn in two, the cherubim were torn apart. It was as if it was, it was Messiah, it was God entering Eden. He was, he was coming back through, like, like passing through the cherubim, that the way is open, the way is clear, and that goes, that, as you say, dovetails with all the, the mysteries of the rabbis, that that was the moment that everything changed. It's all, it's all there, you know. And when Messiah rose, he did it on a Hebrew feast. You know, something I didn't, when I wrote the Book of Mysteries, I wanted, there's another thing about it, I don't say this, but if you actually read it, you don't have to, but you, the days are not dated, they're, they're numbered, so you can read, you can start any time of the, of the year. But if you started in January's day one, when you get to the time of the Holy Days, on the biblical calendar, it's gonna, cor- it's gonna correspond with the biblical calendar. So when there's a Hebrew feast, there's gonna be something, a mystery related to that feast. And so, and, and there were times that that actually happened without even me doing it. There were three cases where we didn't even do it, and it was on the exact day. But the mystery is on the day. But the day that Messiah rose wasn't just a day. There's so much we we miss because we, you know, we, we many believers don't know the you know the, the calendar of the, of God and that. And that is that he rose on the day called. There was a day called Yom Rishit, the day of the first fruit, when when it's the beginning of new life, when their priests are lifting up the new life of the harvest and saying the winter is over, it's all gone, the new life begins on this day. That's the that's on that. day day that Messiah rose on Yom Rashid, the day of the first fruit. But there's even more to that mystery, because the very first word of the Bible, I mean, it says, Birashit, uh, in the beginning. In Hebrew, in the beginning, beginning is the word Rashid. Well, the day that Messiah rose is called the day of the Rashid. In other words, the word the beginning also means the first fruit. So therefore, the, Jesus, when, they, when, they, when the rabbis had to translate this into Greek, they looked at this word Rashid, the beginning book, and they, they gave the Greek name, they called it Genesis. So the day that Jesus rose, get this, the resurrection day, is really is the Hebrew day of Genesis. It's the day of the beginning. It's the day of the new creation. It's the day when everything begins again, where there, every 
everything before it is as if not a, it didn't exist. That's that's how amazing God is, and there's so much in that as well. And you know, but let, let me let me take you to a, like another sample of a, another thing here, and that is uh, it's called the mystery of the wolf. And and in the in the in the book, um, the you know the teacher and the student are are watching a shepherd at night. Or like, I think it's as night falls, and and behind, then they notice behind trailing it is a wolf. One of the mysteries in the Bible is that of the wolf, and that is God is the shepherd. You know, Messiah is the good shepherd, and the enemy is likened to a wolf, false prophets, or the wolf comes to destroy. And but at the, and then add the other puzzle piece: the Jewish people are called the flock of God, and so is the church spiritually. But the Jewish people are called the flock of God. Well, what happens if a flock is separated from its shepherd? Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to scatter. It's going to scatter all over. What You want to see the proof of Jesus? Look at Jewish history. The Jewish people are called the flock when they, they scatter. They what happened without the shepherd, without their Messiah? They have scattered all over the world like, a, like sheep without a shepherd. And what happens when that happens? They become vulnerable to, from, to the wolf, to the predators. And it is actually a prophecy in Ezekiel that speaks about this. Is my flock, God says, my flock was scattered and all the beasts of the field, they, 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 they preyed on them and tore them. And Well, that's all there. That's Jewish history. I mean, the last 2,000 years, that's this cosmic, this cosmic uh, mystery happening out. But who were the worst, the worst or the most wolf Who were the worst enemies or predators of the Jewish people? The Nazis, without any question. But mm-hmm. there's a mystery there, and that is that that if you look, and I found this only, I was looking at this recently, that, that if you look at the names of, 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 of the Nazi leaders and many of the Nazis, you'll find that the one who, the one who uh, was the mentor of Hitler, one of the, you know, uh, his inspiration, his name was Wolf. The one who came up with, a, with a, the Nazi, the name Nazi, was his name in German meant Wolf. Uh, Hitler's secretary was named Johanna Wolf. Um, many of the highest, the, the SS were called, their names meant the wolf, all throughout. And Hitler, where did, what did he make his headquarters? It was called the Wolf Slayer. It was called the, 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 the another one was called Werewolf. You know, he directed, he, he spoke of himself as a wolf that was destined to attack the sheep, which is the Jewish people. But not only that, there was a, there was a child born in Austria, you know, one, one in, in the late 1900s or 1800s, and his name, and they gave him a name, the name was Adolphus or Adolf. Adolf means the wolf. So you want to see how real God is and how real the enemy is? You know, this this is, and how satanic that is. There's a real wolf, which is the enemy, and there's a real hatred for God. You see that with the Holocaust. It's satanic. But at the same time, when, the, when Hitler was destroyed, you know, when a shepherd destroys the wolves, then he can gather the flock back. And that's exactly what happens. When the Nazis were destroyed, when Hitler was destroyed, that's when he gathered Israel back into the world. So there are, there are mysteries in the book of not only the life, but also knowing how to deal with the enemy as well, you know. And and speaking of that, let me let me throw in something for you guys. And and this is this is something that's going to happen next week here here around where I am. And talk about harbingers. Um, the you know in the harbinger that again the template is ancient Israel falling away from God. But when they fell away from God, they didn't just fall away from God. They they turned to the worship of another god. And the other god is the god Baal. He and Baal or Baal. 
he is the he's the pseudo god. He's the he's the substitute for God. He's the god of their apostasy. When you turn away from God in one way or another, you're turning to Baal. In fact, the name from Baal we get the word Beelzebub, which is the the word for Satan. So so could we you know Baal? Could we see in America? Could we actually could the sign of Baal actually appear? Well, there was a it, it, you probably guys were because you're really up on things. You're probably aware that in the spring there was a plan to do something. It got canceled, but what people don't realize it has been revived, and that is to put up in Amer- on American soil the arch that led to the Temple of Baal. It is to be put up where? In New York City, the place of 9-11. And so here, it, it, and, and it's been rescheduled, it is to go up this coming week, next Monday. They are going to erect the arch that led the worshipers of Baal to the Temple of Baal on American soil in New York City. And they are rebuilding, actually, what ISIS destroyed. Now, in the the Harbinger, when they said, we will rebuild, they're actually rebuilding what the Assyrians destroyed. Well, the the children of the Assyrians are ISIS, not only in spirit, but even in blood. So we're actually now rebuilding what the Assyrians... This is the exact thing of the Harbinger. And the people are are doing it, saying, we're doing this as a sign of defiance. When the Harbinger happened, you know, undoubtedly the, the temples of Baal and the shrines of Baal in Israel were destroyed, and they, they sought to rebuild it. Well, we're now doing the exact thing. I, if I'm able to, I'm going to actually go to New York City on that day and, and see what happens. But but talk about harbingers. The, we literally are building the arch to the Temple of Baal. You want us to go with you? I mean, I mean you know, uh, it's how can this be? Uh, I, I mean, really, I, I, I understand the mindset to, to some extent, but are we that blinded uh, and I, that, that's really, that's not a rhetorical question. Are we that blinded? Are our leaders that blinded? Are the people who are behind this that blinded? Or is it something different? Is it, are they, are they nefarious in nature? I just, I, I think my, my feeling is, I mean, look at the harbingers and you look at, you know, why did they do what they did? Why, why did they, why did, they, why did Tom Daschle pronounce a judgment on America, you know, from, from using the ancient judgment of Israel? He didn't know what he was doing. You know, he did it. You know, why did Obama inscribe the words of, in a sense of the, the the vow of judgment on the on the tower there in New York City, why he didn't realize what he was doing, you know, and and that's the pattern. But neither did ancient Israel know, you know. When Isaiah records that they said these words, you know, we will rebuild, we'll come back stronger. They're pronouncing judgment on their nation, but they don't realize what they're doing. So I don't think they they realize it. I mean, there's a spiritual thing behind it, they're in their spirit perhaps, but they don't realize it. But the harbingers manifest because the because they must manifest, and and this too. I mean, they have no idea what they're doing, and yet. It's all madam. Now we have the actual arch of the god of the time of the harbingers, you know, doing the same act again. So it's all happening, and and you know we see the outside, but there's we see what we see in the news, and we see the apostasy. But it's actually the signs are manifesting. And speaking of signs, let me give you let me give you throw out another one, you know, from the Book of Mysteries, and that is that there's a time when the teacher takes the disciple into the desert, and he draws a sign in the sand. And and the thing is that there is you know when when the, when the Jewish people were saved on Passover, you know they were saved by putting blood, of course, on the doors of their the doorposts of their house. And what they did is they had to put it on the top, and they had to put it on the left side and the right side. And so it was blood on beam on the beams of their door, the doorposts. And if you look at that, it forms connecting the dots literally, and that's what the teacher does in the Book of Mysteries. It forms a triangle of blood of the Lamb's blood 
from going upward from man to God, going upward to heaven. Well, God is so awesome that over a thousand years later, God answers it. And again, and it's on the same day, Passover, Messiah dies for our sins. He is the Lamb of God. And on the beams of wood now, there was door, it was the beams of their doorpost, but now it's, now it's the beams of the cross. On those beams are three points of blood, the blood of the Lamb, marking it again. And what is, what does it form? One on his left hand, one on his right hand, one on his feet. And what does that form? A triangle. Another triangle answering the other triangle. But the first triangle is a triangle from going upward to heaven, from earth to heaven and man to God. The second triangle is from heaven to earth pointing downward from God to man. But there's more because if you put the triangles together, it forms a cosmic star of David. So even that, God is so perfect mm. and so amazing and so, you know, and that's just one, that's called, wow. in, the, in the book it's called The Mystery of the Triangles. Now there's something, there, there, again I said several end time mysteries. One is, one is called The House of Spirits and then this is when they, he, the teacher takes the, the disciple to a, um, you know, to a, a kind of ruins of a, of a once great house and wind is blowing through it. And, um, and what he tells them is something that, that most believers know as a sort of a parable. And they think about, well, this is about somebody being possessed. But it's deeper than that. When the, the Lord gave this picture, he said when the man is basically possessed and, and he has a spirit in him, but then he's delivered from that. And then, but then he kind of turns, he, the implication, he's turned, he turns away from God again. And and, said, and now he was all cleaned up, and now seven spirits come back. And so, so it's worse than it was at the beginning for him, because he was cleansed by God, then he turned back. Well, we think about that as something speaking about possession, and it is, but that's really not what Messiah was saying. As, as the primary thing, he said, such is this generation. He's not speaking about one person. He's speaking about a whole civilization. Well, here's the thing, and here's a mystery that people don't realize that is, is so, I mean, so relevant to now, and that is that what happened is to civilization, Western civilization was once totally pagan, totally demonically possessed and, you know, with the gods and all that. Then the gospel came, and it cleansed West, it cleansed them of much of the, of the gods, of the, much of these demonic things, and it became like a civilization that had been swept of all these things. But the thing is this, here's the thing, if, if that civilization turns back to darkness, if it turns away from God and the gospel, then its end will be seven times worse than the beginning. It will be seven times more evil than it was in the beginning. It will become seven more times the, uh, demonic than it was. And that's why, you know, between a pre-Christian civilization and a post-Christian civilization, it's the post-Christian civilization that we're witnessing that is far more dangerous. In pre-Christian, you, you might have a Caligula and a Nero and crazy people. But in a post-Christian, you've got, you get a Hitler. You get a, a Stalin. You get, you get an Antichrist. And this is really linked to the Antichrist as well. You know, so that's what we're witnessing. That's the, that's, those are the stakes what we're witnessing. And speaking of the end times, another end time thing linked to this is that at one point there, it speaks about the, there's a mystery called the fourth creature. And that, that, where the teacher around a campfire is, has a scroll and he's explaining the vision of Daniel. And, the, and of course it says, you know, the three creatures, and there was a fourth. The three creatures represent the great kingdoms. But the fourth creature, is represents the, the end time kingdom, the last kingdom, the last civilization. But one thing we don't know is if you read in English, it says the fourth creature was different from the others. But in, 
Hebrew, the word is, is the word is shana, and th- and that doesn't just mean different. It means altered. It can mean it, it can imply unnatural. You know, and and what it's saying is the civilization of the end times is going to be not only different from any other. It's going to be unnatural. It's going to be altered. It's going to be uh, it's going to be away from the the natural order of things. You know, and we, I kind of alluded to that with the apostasy. It's going to be an artificial civilization, like you know, you actually see with that beast you see metal in it and not just not just animal things so even in the the one hebrew word it gives us a whole revelation of what we are witnessing right now before our eyes fantastic i'll give you another one and the other the the many of the mysteries also are are to lead you to find the the destiny your destiny your calling um, to change your life and I, a lot of one of the big things people say and this more goes with the mystery of each of us say well how do I how can I find God's will for my life how do I fulfill my calling what is my calling you know do I go do I go to the left do I go to the right where do I go what do I you know and there in one of the mysteries um, they called the way to the mountaintop the teacher takes the disciple to a mountain and he says you know you have to get to the top there's something waiting for you at the top at this one exact spot and you have to go there and then the the student looks and he sees all these different paths he says well which one do I go which path leads to the top and he says well that's for you that's what you have to find out so he starts going up the mountain starts you know heading up on one path and then he has to make a turn and then he goes on another path and another path and, and he ends up being lost and it's dark and he ends up going down and shouting and he ends up at the bottom of the mountain and he says I couldn't do it and the teacher then explains the key, gives him the key because it's also Bible is about the keys to overcoming and, and and finding your calling and overcoming. So what happens at that moment? The teacher tells him a mystery, and that and that is this: it, in order to go to Jerusalem, and everybody had to go to Jerusalem back then, um, you had to go up because Jerusalem was up. And so every time you read in the New Testament, it says it says he went, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. It always says up because you had to go up, and it had a, the journey had a name. It was called Aliyah. And that means the, the upward journey. When the Jewish people returned to Israel, it was called Aliyah. It was the upward journey. Uh, and so the thing is this. We are all heading, ultimately, every every child of God is heading to Jerusalem, to the uh, heavenly Jerusalem. Therefore, we must be, our, our life must be a journey of Aliyah. It must be an upward journey. And the key to finding your destiny, more than, well, do I go right, do I go left, which is it, Lord? Well, the ultimate key is this. Every day, you're going to have a choice between going upward or downward. You're going to go higher in the Lord, lower. You're going to have choices to become more spiritual, less spiritual, more godly, more ungodly, more loving, more selfish. You are to resist the sin or give in to that sin. And every day you have that choice. Every The key is you have to make Aliyah. Every day, choose the higher step no matter what. And what's going to happen is, if you keep doing that every day of your life, you're going to end up, because if you're, on that, you're going up a mountain, you're going to end up at the exact peak, at the exact point, and we're usually the center of the mountain. It's almost like if you can look from heaven, and you look at in the, in the middle of that, that peak is, is God's perfect will for your life, your destiny. No matter where you start on the mountain, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where, how far you are away from God. It doesn't matter at all. If you keep following this principle, whether you're on the left or on the right, you're going to end up in the exact appointed moment and exact appointed destiny and calling for your life. And you're going to intersect with the path that's, that's the perfect path for your life. And 
so it's an absolute thing. How do you find God's will? There's something called the Josiah mystery, and that is Josiah, we don't know that he knew exactly what God's will was for his life, but he ended up on the exact mountain where they said, Josiah, it was prophesied hundreds of years ago that you would be here this day on this mountain. He found his destiny, but he didn't know it. And the key is Josiah... What he did, he knew one thing. He knew God's will. And every day he followed the will of God. That's it. Every day. And and the the key is, follow the will of God that you know from the Bible. And it will lead you to the will of God that you don't know. Follow the, obey the will of God in your life, what you already know. And it's going to lead you to the perfect appointed destiny of the will of God for your life. Amen. Wow. Powerful. Mr. Khan, in the remaining few minutes we have left, um, I'd just like to grant you the latitude to speak on anything, to touch anything. Um, take it wherever you want to go because I, there's no question, I, you know, there's no question we can ask, in, in my view right now, that, uh, could be better asked, uh, or could be asked where I, I guess I just, just take us where you'd like to go, wherever the spirit is leading. Yeah, in the last few a, a few a few things. Let me do it from a prophetic thing, and then and then also and the, and the and what that how that goal intersects with the book of mystery. So, um, we are, you know, and I know you guys sense it. I know you guys are on top. And, and by the way, I, I really I applaud your work. It's always a joy. You know, I, I can, there's, there's a lot of interviews I can't do because just for time, but it's a joy always to be with you um, and for what you're doing in the Lord and for this hour. We're at a very critical point, you know, and I mean, not only politically, but, but in every way. We're seeing things we, we, we never dreamed, well, we, we knew by prophecy, but otherwise it would be mind-boggling. We're seeing things on television we could never imagine. We're seeing the end times. We're seeing the last days. We're seeing, we're seeing the signs of persecution. We're seeing the things that, we're seeing America morph, transform into something we could hardly have imagined. It's all there in the Bible, it's all there, but we're seeing it. And so we have to, you know, we, you know, we sing the days, like these are the days of Elijah, and, you know, we sing that, but the days of Elijah were days of apostasy and days of persecution of God's people. And so if we are singing these are the days of Elijah, then we must become the Elijahs of the day. God God is not finished, no matter what it looks like. When people ask me what's coming, judgment or revival. There can be both, and there can be a sh- and it can come through shaking. But we have to be prepared. What we are witnessing in one of the you know one of the, some of the mysteries when uh, in the book that deal with the end times, it's not just darkness in the end times. It's polarization. The dark gets darker. The lights have to get brighter. And so this can be the greatest time for your life and for the life of God's people if we will respond, if we will rise to it, if we will stand. We can be the greatest times in our life. It can be the greatest times in the church. You know, even if it's less people following, those people will be more like the book of Acts. One of the mysteries in the book is called the chiasma, and I won't go into it, but it's an ancient Greek word, but it has to do with the fact that the, at the end of the age is matched to the beginning, will be like the beginning. In the beginning, you had Israel in the world, you got Israel back. In the beginning, you had, you had Jerusalem, you got Jerusalem back. In the beginning, you had Jewish believers, you got them back. You had Jew and Gentile, you had a church coming to close to, join to its Jewish roots, 
you're getting that back. But you also had persecution back then, an anti-Christian world culture, you're getting that back too. But you, but what God wants to do is bring the book of Acts back. And so the best could be yet ahead, no matter what happens in the world. So that is why, and that is why I wrote the book of mysteries. That's why I was led to get, get this to God's people. To not only, you know, not only reveal these things or open these things from God and God, and it's God is awesome. Again, never stop seeking Him. You'll see there's no end to it. And there's so much more to know than we know, than we already knew. There's so much more for us to know of God. That's why I wrote that. But really, to strengthen His people, because we're going to have to be strong. We're going to have to be plugged into God more than ever. And God will anoint. You know, it says, the, the eyes of the Lord search the entire earth looking for the one whose heart is His. Be that one. So the book of mysteries is, is for that. It's a tool. It's a, it's a vessel for that reason. Uh, and, that, and that's why, and I'm, I'm really blessed, you know, because you guys, obviously, you take things seriously. You've been reading it. And that's the, you, what you told me during this time. Could, it, it, there couldn't have been anything better that I, that I heard. So, you know, if I may, if, you know, if you, uh, it's everywhere. It just came out. And you can get it from Walmart to Amazon to every other place. Um, but it's there. And you'll recognize it because the cover looks like it's, it's, a, it's one of those books that you would find in the desert, one of those mystery books. That's, when you see it, it'll look like an ancient book on there. That's so you'll recognize it. So it's everywhere. And it's also, but also, I don't know if I mentioned it, it's also to give to unbelievers because at the end it tells you how to get saved and it's to draw unbelievers in too. So I believe it's going to be a tool not only to minister but also to give to unsaved people as well as saved people. So it's really everywhere. And, um, you know, and I, and I thank you guys are great. God bless you. Thank you, Mr. Khan. Uh, we will be promoting your book, uh, every day. I mean, this is a fantastic work. Thank you so much for your gift of time. Do come back. Thank you guys. And, and keep up the great work. And I will. Thank God you, bless. Sir. All right. Bye bye. Thanks, Jonathan. Gonna be right back. Stay right there. Double header tonight in this broadcast. We were joined in the first two hours of this broadcast by Jonathan Kahn, author of uh, The Harbinger, The Mystery of the Shemitah, and now The Book of Mysteries. But now we are joined by Stan Dale. StanDale.com is his website. Great friend of the program. A man that, uh, oh, I'll tell you, the knowledge that Stan Dale has is just incredible in my view. Um, and and what a what a great way to I mean what what just he's just a fantastic person and Holiday his wife, prophetic perils. If you haven't gotten that book, oh my goodness, you're missing out. Uh, before we get to Stan, I just want to mention. Well, I want to ask the the business owners out there. If you own a business, I don't care if you if if it's a small business or a medium big, but it, it doesn't matter. Let me ask you a question: Are you hiring? Have you ever gone through the practice of hiring? Oh, it could be a headache. Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates for that opening that you might have? Posting your job in one place is not enough anymore to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, folks, it's simple: you need to post your job on all the top job sites, but now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with just a single click. If you can find candidates in any city, in any industry, nationwide, just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface, 
they make it so easy for you to see what's out there and you can easily choose. There's no more juggling of emails or calls to your office that uh, just time consuming. Uh, quickly screen candidates. You can rate them and hire them. You can hire the right person really fast. I mean, it's, it's unbelievably, incredibly easy. I took it for a test drive, and let me just say, it is, if I can do it, you can do it. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. That's right, 1 million businesses. Right now, folks, you as our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com dot com slash free trial. We have Standeo with us, folks. Go to standeo.com, bookmark the site. Uh, you can go there for the latest upcoming interviews from Stan and Holly, as well as um, the featured news on the site and also the show images from the interview Stan does. Stan, it's been a week since you've been on, and it's great to have you back. How's it going? Good to be back. I'm surprised we're all still here with things as they are. I thought we were out of here soon. Uh, there's so many things to talk about today. I don't even know where to start. I guess well, the I got an you idea. Got a, you got uh, a thought? Yeah, you know, I was scrolling through news the other day, and I see something up on your on the news site that is something I was looking at a few days ago that was kind of odd and caught my attention. Where NASA came out and said that due to the full moon, this could be the uh, best time for a possible earthquake. Yep. yep. I mean, I thought, that, I thought that was pretty odd. Well, it is odd. Uh, if you go to the show images page, uh, image six, you'll see that uh, I've got a link to that article there as well. And uh, they're now coming around to agreeing with um, what a couple of earthquake specialists have said over the years, and including myself, I've jumped on the bandwagon, and that is when the moon is closest and farthest away, it changes the gravitational pressures on the surface of the Earth. We know that because we get uh, lunar tides, you know, the rising and falling of the tides around the coastlines as the moon, you know, waxes and wanes to us. Um, but when you have an earthquake that's poised and ready to happen, you know, pressure between plates on the Earth's surface, when the moon comes, you know, past like that and pulls up the surface of the Earth toward it or, you know, drops it back down, this, in essence, is a slow shaking of a fault line that's precariously balanced and ready to uh, convert to action. So, yes, uh, it is strange that NASA is getting online with that now. I, for the life of me, I don't know why it took them so long to figure it out, but um, that is true. And there's a link, as I say, to an article about that uh, on the, the website there being image number six, or, you know, on the uh, show images page as well. Um, you know, there are a number of things astronomically that are of interest today. Uh, Trump for instance, gets on and talks about um, global warming uh, still need to be investigated. He doesn't come out and say, you know, it's man-caused or anything else. He just simply says it needs to be investigated, but then he deflects over to other topics when they interviewed him today in the Business Insider. And I think that's a fairly clever way to answer the question because the there's no doubt that the Earth is heating up. Um, in fact, the... Uh, August this year is the second month this year that has broken temperature.
to this um, uh, due to uh, cow gas or you know increased carbon production. It's not that. It's the sun. And I've said this over and over again. Uh, what Trump is doing is saying, okay, let's address the problems that are uh, you know related to that, but not blaming everything on human effort because we know that other planets in the solar system are heating up as well. And the sun is doing some pretty weird uh, things itself uh, as far as uh, the heat level and the activity of the sun in its quiet period now. Uh, I saw, what, two, three days ago, a tremendous flare shot off of that thing on the uh, lower right-hand side. of If you look at it that way, that would be on their uh, west side, as they say in the astronomical circles. And uh, this is the problem. It is the sun causing all this increased heat. It does run through cycles. This may be a cycle that is a cycle of cycles, something really extraordinary in the sun's activity. So... Yeah, uh, what Trump says is a clever way to handle the issue, not to get bogged down in trying to shut down business. You know, carbon footprints certainly may add to the uh, solar thing, but they are small by comparison to the amount of energy input by the sun. Um, we're, it's just going to get worse. We know from prophecy that these things will get worse. So let's let's well, put it into perspective. Yeah. Perspective is everything in, in this case. Um, interesting. Well, okay, you know, okay. um, well, go ahead. Sorry, go uh, on. Um, well, I was just going to ask you, just real quick, um, if, if I can tap into your knowledge here, or your or not your knowledge, but your perspective, given the given the current events here of the past week, nine eleven just passed on nine eleven. Uh, Hillary Clinton, you know, appeared to. Um, Exhibit outwardly exhibit some serious signs of illness. A- any thoughts on that from a biblical prophecy or even just a, a plain uh, geopolitical or political perspective at all? You're, you're just just kind of your, your thoughts. Well, look, we all know that, uh, or suspect, shall I say, that there's going to be some complications, some extraordinary events uh, approaching the November elections here for president. We don't know uh, what they will be. There are suspects that perhaps there will be a death or a serious illness, uh, in this case, of Hillary. It could also be for Donald Trump because they're both uh, you know, getting up a bit in age. But one of them, if either one of them is taken out of the race for, by death or sickness or you know, whatever other things they could do, it will put us in a condition that you were talking about, Doug, in your uh, last uh, couple of days when you put out that thing about the constitutional crisis. What do you do if one of them is removed uh, from the game? And um, I listened to it uh, and quite intently to what you were reading, and it really was a good report. The the issue, I think, is is going to be resolved in conflict. I don't think we're going to see a peaceful resolution at, at this election time. Whatever happens, whether Obama continues to stay in office due to um, uh, war or due to postponing the election because one of the major candidates is withdrawn, or whether it's due to um, some other thing that George Soros has orchestrated under the you know the carpet there you know in the background, Soros when he takes over a nation when he gets control of it, whether it be here in Europe, what he has done traditionally is create a revolution of the established government in that country. And we're at that point here now where something happening in this election uh, to either Hillary or, or, or Trump, uh, Donald, either one of them, this is probably going to result in the end analysis of 
Americans being being rebellious against the government because things aren't going right. And and I understand that. I, I know that that's probably where we're headed. If you don't do it, if you don't stand up and complain about what's happening, you know, vigorously, then they're going to assume that they've got you by the short and curlies, and there will be a dictatorship formed regardless. So it, either way, Soros is going to win. You know, we're, we're either going to be captive slaves in America, or we're going to be put down because of our rebellious nature, trying to say, look, you're doing it all wrong, let's get back to the Constitution. And so I see Hillary's sickness is probably one of the, the things in the game plan, whether she's really got just pneumonia or whether it's uh, Parkinson's, and pneumonia is a, a, a subsequent uh, illness associated with the Parkinson's or not, uh, it does put the question out there, well, we may have to cancel the elections or delay them because we have to let the, the Democratic Party put in a new candidate. And we see rumors, and of course the Democrats say this isn't true, they didn't say this, but we see rumors of them already starting to look for a substitute for Hillary Clinton. All of these things, fitting in with what you were talking about, Doug, uh, setting the stage for, you know, a constitutional crisis. And so that's why I say Hillary's illness is part of that. You agree? The, yeah, I, I totally agree. Whether or not uh, they expected that to manifest the symptoms outwardly, to manifest themselves and, and to show themselves, you know, what we saw on Sunday, I, I look at that as kind of an unexpected serendipitous with no disrespect to the humanity of, of, of the candidate at, at all. But, you know, it's interesting how... Um, I'm sure they knew, I'm sure that the powers, whether it's Soros or Wasserman Schultz or the people involved in this knew of her, of her situation. I don't think they, you know, they expected this, but they're exploiting the heck out of it. And that, that's kind of what I see. So yes, but, but what you just said there about it, it, this being resolved in conflict, I think is exactly where this is, this is headed. And, um, and I hope I'm wrong. I really do. And, and I hope we're all wrong here. Um, but man, I, I'll tell you something. It's almost as if this was scripted from day one. The larger aspect, and then the small, little, un, unplanned or unforeseen events, like Sunday. You know, to um, it just bolsters that agenda. So that's thank you for that assessment, and, and I agree with you totally on that. You know, um, in line with that, uh, we're talking about uh, candidates having problems and parties having problems in this election, but the thing that may give Obama, you know, an excuse to delay the elections is uh, war, as we've always said. And right now, in in the last uh, 24 hours, the Syrians have uh, shot two missiles, uh, surface-air missiles, at Israeli aircraft operating in the Golan Heights. There were two SA-2-type uh, missiles. Now, the reason this is interesting is this. Uh, in the past here, Syria's been in trouble and, uh, you know, could not really afford to uh, fight with Israel and anybody else. They, they had their own internal problems. Um, the ancient capital for Syria uh, is called uh, Kunetra, and it's in the Golan Heights. And... Um, that is occupied now by the Israelis after they had the uh, the takeover of two thirds of the Golan Heights. Now the fact that the the Syrians uh, have uh, under Assad have fired these surface air missiles at Israeli aircraft operating where they should operate uh, on the edge of the uh, Syrian airspace, just keeping things in order, means that Syria is feeling more empowered to take on Israel, especially with Russian assistance. I can see that in the background. The, mm, the threat
threat to Israel is growing, and they are shooting down or from from aircraft. They are blowing up weapons shipments getting into Syria anywhere along the border. There, they can see them. They they're blowing them up, which means that the Israelis have to fly a little bit into Syrian airspace to do that. So things are at a a fever point there, and you know. Uh, the United States budget to help Israel, believe it or not, is uh, it used to be $30 billion over a, a decade, like $3 billion a year. They've recently upped that. The United States has upped that to $3.8 billion per year over the next 10 years uh, to help Israel with arms and whatever they need. It's military assistance. And in spite of Obama being rude to Netanyahu and some of the other members of his cabinet doing the same thing, we are paying them apparently money to to get military supplies that they need. And right now, uh, that means that we're supporting Israel, which means that we have to be with Israel against Syria. But yet we're sending troops in to help Syria against ISIS. Or well, when I say we're sending troops, we're sending military aid, you know, by the back door over there. It just doesn't make sense. It's like we're working against ourselves over in that area. Um, and it just adds to the possibility that somebody's going to be making a mistake and it'll spark the war over there, which will involve Israel, the United States, and some of the other countries right. in the area. Um, yes, so that goes, that goes well, with the, this Obama situation at the elections. He, he may use this beforehand to completely bypass elections. Yeah, and, and you know, j- just a, one more thing on that. P- people really think, and, and I've heard from people after uh, uh, posting that video. People think, okay, you're, you know, I'm a nut job. Uh, well, you know, when you st- when you look at history and you look at some of the scholarly R- articles, including the Yale Law Review, um, an author uh, uh, wrote about this back in uh, well, January first of 1994, it was published that. History, historically, we have not seen any situation like this with respect to the um, potential uh, candidate or the potential uh, uh, party's nominee. Something happening before, on or before uh, election day, and then of course you've got that period of time before the electoral college meets. And what I've seen, Stan, just briefly, is this vast um, deficiency of understanding of how our representative republic works. It. it so we have to understand. I mean, people have to understand that before they can really have a have a sensible discussion. But I've seen this deficiency of knowledge, and that kind of sparks this criticism and saying, "Well, no, this can't happen because it's uh, it's written in our constitution." Well, wait a minute. No, it's not. Not without any clarity. Uh, and that's uh, you know, it, it, uh, who'd have thought? I guess. But our framers, the sheer complexity, but elegant complexity of our constitution. Um, uh, it, it's it's just an interesting situation right now. I, I guess without droning on about it, I just wanted to mention the fact that, you know, what two years ago, two months ago, what it would have been conspiracy nonsense talk is manifesting itself. And you're right, throw in the geopolitical factors, and we really have a perfect storm brewing. Well, now, you know, I wonder, okay, we go to the Electoral College, and let's say that... Um, the popular vote showed that um, Trump won or would win. We go to the Electoral College. There's nothing binding those Electoral uh, College members to vote the That's way right. their constituents vote. That's they right. could reverse that and, and let Hillary win because they want to. They they could do it because That's they right. don't like Trump. They can. Hand, that's right. They can handpick. In fact, 
they're not bound. I, I, there's a number of states not bound, but even at that, you can have a, basically what they would call a revolution. And, and my eyes were just opened up just through research on this and talking with attorneys and law professors and scholars, uh, constitutional experts on this. Oh my goodness. Yeah, you're right. They're, 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 we vote for the electors. The electors then select the candidates. Uh, yeah. Well, whatever. So they could, they could actually, cancel out the popular vote. I, I hope people are listening close to this because they, if they're not worried, they should be. At this yeah. point, you can vote all you want to and vote the right candidate in and he can win, but he doesn't get the presidency. We, we are at the hands of the powers that be that control the Electoral College. And that's, that's a small group of people that could go rogue, and people don't really understand that. That's, that's I know, I know. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the, I saw an article which is you know, in uh, image three down, three rows down, about why are so many conservatives, preppers, and Christians moving to the Northwest? And that was over in the um, uh, Prophecy Watch newspaper. Here. They have a sign of the Preppers of Idaho Network, and you can go to that site and click the, the text part of that uh, box, and you can go to that site yourself and see this. But. Um, they're wondering why thousands of Americans are, you know, flocking over to the Northwest, and uh, that's that includes like uh, Washington and uh, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, um, and Oregon. Now, uh, you know, I can understand that. We've known for some time that these areas are very conservative, and uh, they form the basis for the American, well, conservatives, the base that wants to stick to the stick to the Constitution as it was originally. Um, and they think that these are safe zones. But what worried me about this article? Oh, and before I say that, um, the uh, let's see here. I've got a. I'm just going through the article. There was something in here where they were talking about the the Californians that were you know moving into these areas, um, and how the people said, uh, you know, we're not really interested in having the Californians come into our area because what they're doing is they've left their problems in California. And they're coming into our states, uh, trying to recreate, uh, you know, California, the, uh, you know, the whole situation that made them want to leave California. And they're coming over and trying to start again in the Northwest. And we understand that here in Colorado because for the last, gosh, what, 20 years, Coloradans have been moving into, uh, sorry, California has been moving into Colorado, getting away from their problems in California. And, you know, they've blasted, uh, real estate prices through the roof because they were used to paying big dollars. They came over here where we were just quite content with the normal pricing of house and land, and they paid you know cash for you know, ridiculous prices and raised the price of real estate, and they bring in all these left-wing liberal ideas, and with them they've brought you know, a lot of marijuana smokers on the west side of the slopes here. So I can understand when they say, you know, uh, we wish they'd leave their California-type ideas you know, behind. Uh, don't bring them with him. And anyway, we got sidetracked on that. The thing that I am really concerned about is if there are indeed these thousands of people moving into the Northwest that are kind of people, um, then they need to look at something else. Go to, to uh, image one, potential asphalt areas, and click on that map. Now, I drew this out today, kind of estimating the ash fall from Yellowstone, should it uh, erupt a significant amount, and um, Salt Lake City, if, if the Salt Lake should erupt, and also if Mount St. Helens and five other volcanoes down the coast uh, might erupt and throw ash. 
as I've been shown in a dream vision. And when you put those areas in red, as you see on the graph there, you'll see that there are very few areas. Uh, Idaho is one of the areas where you might be able to uh, endure if the wind didn't blow the wrong way in the north part of Idaho, should a major eruptions occur. But then you've got down the Cascadia there, you've got... Uh, uh, other volcanoes that I think will be going off, and they'll be blowing their stuff eastward across all of Idaho, and certainly uh, parts of Nevada as well. What I see there is in that little blue ellipse that I've drawn down the front range of Colorado, just above Denver and down to the south toward Trinidad, that area, all things considered, that's not in red underneath that, is probably one of the cleverest places to be in what's coming. Now, I could be wrong. Uh, the good Lord sent us here. I don't know why, uh, whether it's for best, uh, safest place or what. But just looking at it logically, when all these conservatives you know, are racing over to the northwest, I think they may be racing into trouble in the long term. Um, and I'd rather see our kind of people here in Colorado to balance the horrible left-wing give me society that came from California and other places uh, has turned this into a, a, a very left-wing democratic state. I'd rather see good conservative Christian values moving here. We've got them in Colorado Springs. We've got and Colorado Springs. There are a number of rural Christian ministries that are housed there, Focus on the families when it comes to mind immediately. There's some big churches there as well. But we also have a growing set of lunatics, you know, that are uh, you know, peace, love, and harmony, dope smokers, and since they've legalized marijuana in this country, uh, up in Beulah Valley, we can see out our window just, you know, 25 miles away or so. I, I got a report the other day from a resident up there that it's like watching these movies on the drug cartels at about 2 or 3 in the morning up in Beulah there. You will hear these these uh, caravans of, like, Cadillac um, SUVs racing down dirt roads and out through town and down into somewhere else in Colorado. And he says, it's just like watching the drug movies where the, the drug barons go up there with all these rich cars, black, of course, with tinted windows, and brown. Um, so it, 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 we've got to kind of put a halt to that. We need more good people here. And so if you're planning on moving, I, I invite you to come on to uh, Colorado and uh, probably Pueblo and um, maybe a little bit south of there, but uh, and mm, as far up as Denver, I suppose. Uh, Colorado Springs itself may be a target for nuclear events, but anyway, if it's not wise to just go up into the northwest because there are going to be Russian troops invading China, Chinese troops invading, and the eastern states are it's a foregone conclusion. That crowded population there, when things go south and we lose power for whatever reason and we're invaded, people are going to turn on each other like rats. And you don't want to be in a high concentration population. Uh, look, I sit here in a town where we have 100,000 or so in the county, and, uh, you know, Pueblo County, and I feel a little bit uncomfortable having that many people close to me, but, uh, you know, there's plenty of mountains around here and uh, places for people to go and, and uh, set up. Anyway, that's that's my real estate commercial for Colorado and why, and my warning people who are going <laughs> Brought to, to you by the way. Chamber, right, Stan Dale, Chamber of Commerce. For, <laughs> Stan, yeah. We're coming up against a, a break. Uh, 
So hold that thought. We're going to be right back. Folks, you're listening to Standeo on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. And just a quick note, in case you did join us late, we had Jonathan Kahn on for the first two hours. He was talking about his new book, The Book of Mysteries. It's a fantastic read. You can get it from his website, mysteriesbook.com or hopeoftheworld.org. And your retail, your local retail outlets and Amazon, uh, it's available everywhere. The, again, that's the Book of Mysteries by Rabbi Jonathan Kahn. He was on the first part of the show. Go back and check that out. If you are joining us late, up next, we're going to go into our last segment with Standale on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. We are in our last segment talking with Stan Deo. Folks, go to standeo.com and bookmark the website. Uh, Holly, again, is putting news up on the website. There is links and information to Holly and Stan's interviews from J.B. Wells to Coast to Coast to here, as well as the show images page Stan puts together for his radio interviews. And it's a great tool to have and a website you want to check each and every day. Stan, what do you want to get to in this segment? I see that we have a lot you haven't covered on your page. Um, I see the yeah. um, the astronomy stuff that you have that you talked about last week. I don't know if you want to start by getting into this. I'll get on to it in a minute. I wanted to uh, cover a couple of other things. The um, the fault, uh, you know, the Oklahoma 5.6, 5.8 earthquake that occurred here last week, um, there is an article there about that where they say that it created a new fault line as a kind of a splay-off of the Labitte fault. And you can click on the, the text portion of that box there and read about the, the situation. But in essence, it's saying that the faults are... Uh, you know, there's there's another fault being added to the Labette uh, fault that's been there before. The you know the number of quakes in uh, the last oh, I don't know ten twelve years there has quintupled. You know we say that, that, that that's quakes and they can be minor quakes due to fracking or whatever. But if I were living in that area in Oklahoma region, as I said last week, I would be concerned. They're just they're on the the edge of the craton, the North American craton, the part of it down through the United States. And that's supposed to be, you know, fairly stable, but it's it's now obviously becoming unstable. Um, uh, okay, image four on the show images page. Now, I got an email earlier today from a guy named Bob, who's a Christian missionary down in Guatemala. And he lives right close to the image in uh, uh, image four there. In fact, he's in the, the little valley to the, uh, I think it's to the left of that. And um, he said, look, I think I've got a pyramid uh, next to me here that hadn't been discovered, a Mayan pyramid. So I started investigating it today. And what I found, uh, you can see by clicking on the picture there, is where uh, I've given you the coordinates so you can track it down yourself on Google Earth and spin around and have a look. But in the forefront of the picture, you've got two rectangles around a pyramid, a four-sided pyramid structure on top of a mountain there. Um, I looked at it, and you'll see on the left side uh, that the the sides of this 
pyramid kind of cave in a bit. And you'd think there'd be a rubble pile underneath there to show that. I don't particularly see one in the trees below. But then I started looking up the hill from there. There was another four-sided pyramid just connected to it going up the side of this ridge. I think what we're seeing is a natural formation where you had the molten material of this um, mountain range, however it was formed by an impact or, you know, by crustal movement or whatever, that it cooled and the the granite or what other materials were there, like crystalline stuff that uh, when magma cools, it forms crystals, that it may have cooled slow enough that it made these large crystals that are, you know, what we think are, are uh, pyramids. I mean, you're only looking at a height of about 30 or 40 feet on these things, so they're not like massive Khufu Egyptian-type structures. So I'm thinking that it may just be a geological event. But I put the, the coordinates there. So you go to Google Earth yourself and see what you think. There's a little um, red line I've drawn up over the ridge that goes from there back onto other property you know, behind it, uh, showing that you know the, the the tendency for sharp edges in this particular formation travels all the way through this this ridge. It goes back there for miles. Um, so anyway, if you if you get a chance, folks, uh, there might be a geologist in the, in the audience there that knows what kind of geology can produce these type of structures in mountains. Uh, I, I've done the best I could by estimating and if Bob is listening today down there, well Bob, uh, I sent you the other pictures as well uh, from different angles on this. So, see what you think and uh, get back to me. I've done the best I can investigating that for you, but thank you for the input. Now, you want to talk about things in astronomy. Okay, image eight. The sign of, of Virgo and Leo there. There, there is a discussion uh, that's put forward on the website about the great sign of Revelation 12. And Revelation 12, 1, 2 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, that's in the skies, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. Now, in passing, you know, if you're just reading that, you'd say, okay, woman with a child, big sign, okay, fine. What I did, as did the author, you can click on the, the text underneath the picture and go to the article about him. I may not, may not agree on his um, interpretation of some of the data there, but that's, that's not a major issue. What he's showing is uh, well and truly there, and I checked it back for 2,000 years myself. This formation where you have Virgo, uh, the, the virgin up there, you can see her sideways here. You can see that she is crowned by 12 stars, and you think crowned. Leo is the royal, like you know, the king um, constellation, and that's above her head, and there are nine stars in that constellation. But when you look at it from the Earth, there are also three extra lights. Mercury, Mars, and Venus that occur on the 23rd of September 2017. Now, I don't know where the Jonathan Kahn mission that. Did he talk about this at all? No, we did not uh, get into this. Okay. Well, at exactly four, this is Israeli time, at exactly four in the morning, 44 minutes after 59 seconds, this is where everything uh, appears at its closest point to lining up where you have 12 stars. She's crowned with 12 stars. And her clothes are lit by the sun on her shoulder there, shining.
lying down on her clothes, and the moon is at her feet. Now, you know, I'll read that one more time. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Well, now, if you if you look at it, it the, the moon isn't under her feet yet. It may move down just slightly. And I, I'm running some tests on that to see how far out of whack that throws these three um, planets that are part of the 12 stars. But in that general period of time, within a day or two, these things line up, and then the rest of Revelation starts to take place where you're looking at, you know, the the beast, uh, you know, a red dragon, and, uh, you know, all the things that follow after that in Revelation 12, which are of great interest, and then 13, of course, where the first and second beast uh, appear. Anyway, um, now I looked and found something rather interesting when I was looking at Virgo. The stars that make up Virgo are fixed, basically, in our time uh, span here. They don't move very much at all, if any. And right in the middle of Virgo is the the star, I've uh, drawn a line down to it in the, the uh, celestial or stellar catalog. It's number 66249. And you say, okay, what's big about that? Well, I went over to frame nine, where I did some work here over the weekend, and I found that that star, uh, it's um, called, it's Virgus, Virgas or something like that. It's part of the, the Virgo constellation center of it. It's right where, uh, in the image of the, the virgin, where a, a virgin would give birth. It was the birth canal. And that star used to be called Heze, H-E-Z-E. And when I looked it up all over the Internet, no one knew exactly what it meant, where it came from, that name. So they gave it modern names, like Zeta Virginis and stuff like that. Okay. I thought, suppose this is ancient Hebrew, Heze. That's Het and Tzadi, with E's in between, of course. So there's two letters, He and Tzadi or Zayin in this case, sorry, Zayin. Now, I've put that picture there, and I've defined uh, hate, uh, or hey in English, and that word means behold. And then the next letter is a word, that's Zayin. It means um, straight light from God to man, or and returning light. When you put all that together, the name Heza in Hebrew, ancient Hebrew, means behold. The returning light straight from God to man, and it comes right out of the birth canal of the Virgin. Now, isn't that interesting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> very interesting. It's amazing how, how God has given us the planets to, to, to identify the seasons, the times, the signs. And man, of course, perverted it through uh, astrology, but astronomy, the, 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 this is amazing. So... Well, I think we may have solved another mystery is what I'm saying, what that has a means. And okay. it's put there so long ago and named that, that it's part of the message of the stars. You know, the message in the stars, the gospel in the stars, is right there in front of us. Wow. And it refers to that in Revelation 12 as to the beginning of the time where the Antichrist comes. Or the, you know, about the dragon and stuff like that. I mean, it just, it, it, well... <laughs> I was excited anyway. <laughs> oh, it's very exciting, very fascinating. And um, even digging, what you did, digging further into the meaning 
<clears throat> of that star that has a star um and its definition or or meaning um fits perfectly in with what you and and a few others have been saying about this date and the scripture in revelation yeah i'm still going to be doing some research on the image of the, the virgo and the lion and the, you know the the 12 stars overhead i'm going to vary uh, some of the things i'm looking for i'm going to put the moon under her feet rather than at her feet and uh, when i do that the sun will move down and you know toward her midsection it'll still clothe her with the sun you know it'll shine on her her clothing but I've got to keep those three planets up there, which move very rapidly. It's got to still be above her head to be part of that uh, Leo group up there to make 12 stars. So I'll, I'll report on that next week after I finish the analysis of that. So it's I, think, gonna, I, I don't want to show my ignorance on this, but I'm, I'm going to show it anyway. So I'm going to lay it all out. Um, uh, how, how quickly will that change? In other words, that configuration, the way you have it depicted there in the image, is this, does it last for 24 hours? Does it last for 12? Does it last for 10 minutes? I'm, uh, help me out with this. Well, um, mm, it, it lasts, it changes rapidly. I mean, you can change the time of day, and you'll see changes in it. Uh, just okay. run a few hours into the day. Uh, while we're talking here, what I'll do is I'll bring up Jerusalem on my uh, uh, computer here, and... Uh, I'll put us in Jerusalem at the moment. Okay, we're in Jerusalem now. I'll get rid of the clouds, get rid of that. And I'll run into that time, that date, and I'll tell you how quickly things change. Uh, let's go to the 23rd, 23rd, and 4th hour, and 44, and 29 seconds. And let me just stop the thing from moving here. Okay. Uh, I talk to myself a lot. It helps, you know. Oh, I do that too. <laughs> and, and, and okay. When I answer myself, it's uh, go ahead. That's a worry. Okay. Now I'm looking at what you're seeing uh, there uh, at that time frame that I gave, and I'm going to move ahead one day uh, to the 24th of September, 2017. Now, when I do, the moon has already moved away from her feet, and it's down into Libra that quickly. It moved about the distance of her uh, knee to her foot uh, away from the bottom foot in that in a single day. Uh, the sun stayed where it is, basically on her shoulder. Mercury, Mars, and Venus still stayed uh, within the uh, close to the nine stars of Leo, so it's still crowned. What I'm going to do now is back it up and see what we get here. Let me just lock on to uh, a star here and make that the center of rotation. Okay, and we're there, and we're running back now. Then we want to see. While you're doing that, Stan, I just want to address an email I got. Uh, and again, people uh, understand this. What, what, what this is, what's, what Stan is doing is, is astronomical. It's astronomy, and people don't don't confuse this with astrology, which is really the perversion uh, of, of God's work. God put the planets and the stars and. Uh, all that for our benefits, so we could tell the seasons, the times. The you know, it's, it's God's uh, canvas, his, his calendar, I believe. He's um, AIDS man. The astrology is this is not astrology. Okay, so just I want to drive that home. Okay, go ahead. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, I've I've stood in one of the um, um, in the floor of one of the. Um, 
synagogues in northern Israel that they uncovered back in 1988. And on the floor of it, in the middle of the synagogue, is a perfect mosaic towel of the constellations, the major constellations that we see in the sky. And the reason it's there is not because they were into astrology and that kind of nonsense. It's because God put the, the stars in the heavens and, and named them and the you know the the member stars of all these constellations and name the constellations so you could see the the picture and be able to recreate it to you know to pass on to generations. It was the 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 map through time from the beginning to the end uh, of of creation. And uh, so it's not astrology as you say. It, it, I, I I was just amazed. And they've uncovered another one now down uh, I think in the southern part of Israel just recently. The same thing they found the zodiac put in there. And certainly they didn't practice astrology where they said, oh, if this is in the third house of that, or blah, 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 then you're going to have a good day or a bad day. That's nonsense. What we're looking at is a star map, the gospel written in the stars and the constellations and the names of, of the stars that make up those constellations. That's why it was so important that I was looking at that star that I was telling you about where, you know, I wanted to know the meaning of Heza. And you see, when you get the original name of that, it was there for a reason to show the birth of the Messiah from the Virgin. And that star was put right there for that reason. It's just, you know, it's amazing. Now, <clears throat> I've, I've uh, done this. I, I moved the, the clock on that, uh, what we're looking at, that formation there in, you know, in image eight. I've moved the clock forward 11 hours only, just 11 hours on the 23rd of September, 2017. And by that time, the moon is now under the feet of the woman, and the three stars, you know, or three planets that are part of the stars, Venus, Mars, Mercury, are still up there in that formation. The sun is still on her left shoulder clothing, lighting up her clothing. Uh, and so that works. It just, you know, in the space of, you know, that period of time, the moon moved the most. The sun barely moved, you know, in that period of time. Uh, and the other planets, those three planets, barely moved as well. Thank you for that. So wow. it didn't make that much difference. Interesting. It is so that that's a very significant date, very significant time uh, date. I mean, very significant. When I say time, I'm talking about the day. Well, if you oh. click on the text in that uh, that image eight, it'll take you to a discussion about that uh, that a fellow uh, put on the signs of the end of a discovery of biblical timelines. Uh, I'm not sure whose site that is, but. Um, it appeared uh, quite close to my own opinion of it. Uh, it's a Christian site, and um, you know it'd be uh, worth having a look at that link there and reading through that article about what we're seeing there. And folks, uh, standale.com, standale.com, the show images page. There you go. For those listening via Global Star, BTR. Uh, go ahead. Let me re reemphasize the importance of this. Seeing that. On that date, the 23rd of September 2015, tells us where we are in the book of the Revelation. We're in Revelation 12, going into 13. That's when all this starts. You know, the tribulation period stuff. And so we know we're there. That this doesn't happen every 10 years or something like that. I couldn't find another, in the last 2,000 years, I couldn't find another formation like this where everything lined up. Wow. Huh. And did you happen to go into the future at all to see if that was any? Because I've heard other yeah, people, and, it, and they couldn't find it either. No, no. I'm well, going I to do some more research. As I said, I'll do more research over the, the, the coming week to go ahead in time a bit, because there is one suggestion that the sun to, to, 
to clothe her might be down in her midsection where her elbow is and, and illuminating the clothing more than the shoulder. Then I have to find where the moon is underneath her feet, and we have three planets up there to add to the constellation of Leo. That uh, I'll have to do next. What I did first was to go back in time, 2000, well, actually a little bit more than 2,000 years, to try to be sure that there was no alignment like that, and there wasn't. I just marvel. I just marvel at the, the fingerprints of God in in this. Isn't it amazing? Yeah. Wow. Now, one thing, uh, image seven there at the top left, uh, you know, uh, of the show images page, you'll see that's a picture of the statue there uh, of, of the Lord that was made in uh, Rio de Janeiro and. Uh, in Brazil, and there are uh, the links underneath it, the text links, take you to two sites, two different sites, that have pictures taken of that statue in different conditions, with the clouds at his feet, with the sun at his back uh, from the air, and with the clouds circling in the air. They're just wonderful pictures. There's probably, gosh, I don't know, maybe 80 to 100 pictures between the two sites. And I put that there. Uh, as an inspirational thing, there's nothing special to say about it. Uh, you know, um, we did have that uh, video last week of the workman working on his his hand, one of the hands that was damaged by lightning, and how scary it was to be up on his arm out there hanging over the edge. Um, but uh, these are good pictures, uh, wonderful uh, composition of backgrounds and the Messiah. And I think it's important. I, I picked the one I like the most for the course of the picture you see. And it's coming in the clouds of heaven. There's the Lord coming for us, and that's kind of the way I see it. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Uh, I'm just captivated by the, the by the image here. Okay. We only got a few minutes left, Stan, and I want to ask you. You got on number seven. Uh, the important thing to remember always. You have a picture, and I believe that's from uh, Brazil. Yeah. What is, yeah, what that's is in the, one of those. Uh, in fact, I think it's in both of those pages. You can link to it at the bottom of it. There, you seven, and you click on the text. There's two oh, rows okay. of text, and you click on both of them in different addresses. And I think this picture was in both of them. Okay, interesting. There we are. Okay. Yeah, it, it, that it makes for at, good radio, doesn't I, it? I Here's clicked on the images. I didn't click on the title below it, so I was just looking at the, <laughs> the picture. Yeah, okay. No, I, I wouldn't do that to you. Those links tell you right where you can get all those things and look at them. And it'll take you a bit to scroll down and see them all. But there are some of them that are just brilliant. I just uh, That's why I put them all up there. I just think they're just great to look at. So inspiring. Indeed. Wow, oh, man. Well, Stan, we've got about uh, I don't know six minutes left. Uh, uh, where do you want to? What do you want to cover in the last six minutes here? I mean, whatever's on your heart. Uh, well, these are um, spiritual heavy times. But go ahead. <laughs> on some kind of interesting things here um, in astronomy, uh, Holly will have this up in the news tomorrow. She's doing news every day, as you know, and she just uh, told me about this, and I looked it up. They've just discovered a, a huge. Uh, Asteroid down in Argentina. When I say huge, they're pulling it up on a crane out of the ground. I see in the picture, and it's a 30-ton T-O-N-N-E meteorite. That means it weighs over 66,000 pounds. It's the heaviest meteor ever dug up, you know, uh, intact like that. And it's uh, you'll see that in the in the uh, the news tomorrow she puts up. But it's 
I'd leave a mark. I mean, wow. Say again? Oh, yeah, I'd leave a mark. All right. Goodness <laughs> gracious. <laughs> wow. wow. Yeah, Holly was saying, duh. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Holly. <laughs> well, I, I try to be as scholarly as possible with with respect to this. No, I mean, wow, that's... Uh, Folks who are listening to this, if you're listening to this via archive, please go to show images on standale.com. You've got to go there and, and, and as soon as you can to, to see what uh, Stan's talking about. Yeah, this he is does a tremendous. great job of putting visuals up for the oh, content yeah. he talks about. Well, Stan, we've uh, we've reached the end. I want to thank you for, for your time tonight and uh, tell Holly thank you as well. And, and you guys can do enjoy. Yes. And uh, God willing, we'll talk to you next week. Lord bless you guys. Night-night. Bush as well. Have a good night. Um, what great, great give some stand on Hollydale. Quick announcements for the rest of the week because we have only announced what we were going to do for the first two days of this yes. week so far. We got still a fantastic rest of the week lined up for you. Not going to want to miss the rest of the week. Tomorrow we have uh, Anthony Patch and Doug Douglas Woodward coming on to talk about the latest book that is being released. Um, yeah, yeah, that is uh, what Anthony Patch came on a few weeks ago to talk about. We won't tell you what the book is, right? And Sorry, it's going to be fun. On Thursday, Matt Torella. That's right. He's going to be our guest, and, and, then, and that, that's going to be a really important show. Matt Torella. I'm sorry. Go ahead. And then we have uh, Augusto Perez on Friday. I know a lot of people out there love uh, Mr. Perez. He is putting on a conference. And we will post the details on our website starting Thursday. And then Friday, he wants uh, 
to do some commentary and discussion, but he also wants some audience interaction. So we're going to uh, put the word out so people can ask questions on Twitter or Facebook and or by email. Yeah, how, uh, what do you for think of that? Interfacing with uh, social networking so you can ask questions on via uh, Facebook or Twitter, kind of like the the big uh, you know people do uh, in, in media. So it's going to be great. And not to get ahead of ourselves, but um, in the following weeks we got uh, Dr. Michael Hezier. Heiser. Heiser. Yep. Dr. Michael Lake, yep. L.A. Marzuli, Dr. Paul Hegstrom. And Steve Well with, with I see Rick Wiles Paul. on the schedule too. Yeah, Rick Wiles is going to be joining us as well. And, and, uh, uh, what a, what a great, uh, what a, just what a great lineup. So, uh, folks, uh. And then for those of you who joined us late tonight, again, we had Jonathan Kahn, uh, Rabbi Jonathan Kahn, best-selling author of The Harbinger and the Mystery of the Shemitah. Yes. His latest book, The Book of Mysteries, is available in stores now, and uh, everybody who can get that, I would urge to get that. It's a, a great book that you can read through all at once, and then keep it around each and every day, and read through it as it is, a, like you said, a, so almost, almost like a devotional. devotional. Yeah, folks, I, I want to say this. I want to just thank each and every one of you for your support, for your prayers, for your financial support, because we are a listener-supported show primarily. I want to thank you for your interest in advertising opportunities. Go to HagmanReport.com and and and. Look at the lower right there for a magenta box. Do you have a small business? You can advertise right along with the big companies for a fraction of the price. That's opportunities at Hagman and Hagman.com, but HagmanReport.com for details. God bless each and every one of you. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah. Until tomorrow, stay safe. God bless. Saddle for battle.